The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey guys, this is Matt Seidel, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be discussing the second round of the New Japan Cup USA KOPW stipulations, answering your questions, and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving us a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, prowrestlingtees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate, clicking on that donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, who is best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology development to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUPLEX at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use our promo code SUPLEX. And we also have a special little thing we're doing here for you listeners. Uh, the first five listeners that uh, purchase Manscaped using our code SUPLEX and email us a proof of purchase at socialsuplex at gmail.com. You will get all out courtesy of the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Cool concept. Uh, there's a Manscaped, great brand. They're sponsoring a lot of different you know, entertainment, you know, brands and podcasts and things of that nature. I mean, you hear about them, you see it all the time. And, you know, there's a lot of people who are giving you, you know, really great deals, really great hookups because Manscaped is the best in men's below the belt grooming. Here's the deal. Nobody's going to give you a better deal than your boys over here at Social Suplex because not only are you getting the 20% off, not only are you getting the free shipping, but you're also getting, Jeremy, how much is a pay-per-view? $60? Yeah. You're getting a $60 pay-per-view paid for by your boys here at Social Suplex. That literally covers the cost of whatever it is you're probably buying. So you can literally go all out on your purchase with <laughs> Manscaped.com. And when you do that, you give us proof and we will go all out with you. Yeah, so it should be great. You get the free shipping, 20% off, all out. And, you know, we talk about the Lawnmower 3.0. It doesn't have to be Lawnmower 3.0. You can purchase anything. Just use our code SUPLEX at checkout. And email us, socialsuplex at gmail.com. 
Bro, they've got bro. Let me tell you something. I've got these manscaped uh, boxers. Them shits is fire, bro. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but they everything they do is like incredible. Their clothes, their ointments, their deodorants, their grooming tools. Literally, everything they do is top notch. So you know, go copy something. And uh, we're gonna start the show off this week. We're gonna start it off strong, man, uh, with uh, New Japan Strong from last Friday. It's Time. It's time. It's strong. Time, time, time. Doom, doom, doom. <laughs> Yo, so you, um, you're big on the, you know, the entrance theme songs when it comes to wrestlers. Like, you probably know that shit better than me. Uh, let me ask you something. Does this classic gem from 2000 ring a bell for you? Don't treat me like a woman. <laughs> Don't treat me like a man. <laughs> Don't treat me like you know me. You'll be treating me for who and what I am. Don't, don't. <laughs> Bro. Oh, my gosh. There is no wrestler's theme song that has ever gotten more stuck in my head than China's theme song from, like, 1999, 2000. Like, I used to think about it be like, all right, like I won't get too political. All, all I want to say is, I'm not supposed to treat you like a woman. I'm not supposed to treat you like a man. I'm supposed to treat you not like I know you, but for who and what you are. But how can I figure out what that is without getting to know you? I have to treat you like I know you. This is is full of um. It's just it's it's got a lot of hypocrisy there. Like I'm just trying to be friends with China. You know? <laughs> uh, all I can think about is her her firing off you know the cannons in the entrance. Bro, she used to come out with the. Yeah, bro, she came out with the cannons. That was, like, one of the most fire entrances ever. She literally had nothing going on in the promotion whatsoever, but she just come out and, like, boom on you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, man. Yeah. Great, great theme song there. Bro, is that not, like, your favorite theme song of all time? Uh, I, I can't say that it's one of my favorites of all time, but it's definitely one that, you know, it's, it's catchy. It gets stuck in your head. It does get stuck in your head. Uh, yeah, it's a catchy tune there. And, oh, relevant, because, you know, um, China, Joni Lauer, uh, Tokyo Dome headliner, so, you know. <laughs> now, you know, women in New Japan, <laughs> what all the people want. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, so let's uh, let's get into Strong here. Yeah, and so, you know, we watch Strong using the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes your NJPW World experience to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. And, you know, we mentioned those watch parties. We did have a watch party uh, for this episode of Strong. I think going forward, we're going to continue to have watch parties using the njpw extension so all you have to do is look out on twitter follow us at ki strong style you can follow danny at njpw ext on twitter we'll send the code out for the the watch party you type that code in when you go to njpw world and use the extension and then there's a live chat you can chat with us as we watch the strong action yeah so i uh, unfortunately wasn't able to join in on this even though i'm the one who brought it up last week <laughs> uh, i wasn't able to actually join in on this but this idea uh it just sounds awesome so i mean how was it like did you have like people join in were you guys chatting like you know what's the deal is that 
I've used a lot of the extension interface, but I've never used, you know, the, uh, this particular feature. Yeah, so this is my first time uh, being a part of a watch party and using the whole chat feature. So that was pretty cool, pretty seamless feature there. Um, you know, we had a few people up there in the chat. And yeah, just hung out, chatted, watched some Strong. And when Strong was over, uh, you know, Danny threw on some other uh, gems for us to watch, some G1 stuff. And so, yeah, man, the watch parties are a ton of fun. Super simple to use. Chat feature is cool. And I've been talking to Danny about maybe even some ways we can improve, uh, make it even better. So, so, so one person is in control of what's being played, basically. Yeah. So how we have it set up. So for our our parties, Danny has been in control of what's uh, playing on the feed, and so you guys can do this for yourselves. Viewing, yeah. Viewing any uh, show, uh, you want to just throw like a, a retro rewatch. You want to get up at five a.m. and watch Summer Struggle and th- throw a watch party. You can do it. One person controls the stream, uh, throws it up on there. Everybody watches the same thing, same time. No spoilers. No delays. Um, live chat that's literally what i was thinking i was like you know this sounds like really awesome but it's not like special just because it's us or you know danny who's doing it this is something that is freely offered to all of you all you gotta do is download the extension and you have access to these kinds of features and especially with the way covid is and social distancing I mean, what a awesome way to like watch responsibly with your friends and loved ones and enemies, everybody you know, <laughs> faces and heels alike. Yeah, bro. Uh, you know, invite the people you don't like to watch New Japan with you, and then get in that chat and say who wants the smoke, and you know, lay the smackdown. <laughs> All right, so but no, man, that, that's awesome. Um, so yeah, uh, second round of the New Japan Cup USA tournament. Yeah, so uh, Strong, before we get to the tournament, Strong opened up. We had uh, Barrett Brown and Logan Regal, Regal defeating Clark Connors and Jordan Clearwater. Uh, Barrett Brown, Logan Regal, they have been on the Lions uh, project shows and that happened in California. Also, we know Clark Connors, Jordan Clearwater, apparently a student of Machine Gun Carl Anderson. What do you think about this opening matchup here? You know, it was fine. Um it was interesting because, I mean, I'm not too familiar with these guys. I've heard of the Regal Twins, but I don't really necessarily know them. I do think it's interesting that they, they spell their name R-I-E-G-E-L. I don't know if that's how their real name – if they're real – I don't know if that's their shoot last name. I've got to imagine it's probably not. And so it's like if you're a worker and you call yourself Regal, you have to at least change the spelling of it because you can't have like Stephen Regal's same spelling, right? <laughs> <laughs> out, out of respect. Um, but yeah, no, I wasn't familiar with too many of these guys at all. Honestly, I've kind of heard some of the names, but um, I didn't really think that there was anything. This was a fine opener, but there was nothing that really left an impression for me. The only real thought that I had watching this was Clark Connors at this stage of the game is way beyond Barrett Brown, Logan Regal and Jordan Clearwater. Yeah. Connors was definitely a standout here. And I know we, it's kind of an inside joke. We always joke about it, but definitely got some Chris Benoit vibes here. The in-ring action, the way he was, he was just so intense, the way he was chopping, the way he was just kind of controlling the match. Like, man, this guy's a stud. The thing is, is like on commentary, you can't say that sort of thing. Right. So like um, I noticed Kevin Kelly was like uh, Clark Connors giving me some real buzz 
Buzzsawyer. <laughs> Mad Dog but some uh, Buzz Sawyer vibes. <laughs> and I was like, that's code. <laughs> uh, Mad Dog, Wolverine, come on. We know what you're talking about, Kevin. <laughs> but yeah, but I thought uh, Brown, Regal, and uh, Clearwater were all solid. It definitely seems like Clearwater was the least experienced of the four. Um, Barry Brown's a guy I've seen um, NWA and seen him on some other indie kind of stuff And he's a solid worker But like we said, yeah, I think Clark Connors was the standout here Yeah, I mean I don't know what they're telling the workers As far as what they what Obviously this only went seven minutes So it wasn't like they were given a lot of time to shine or anything And I don't know what the match layout was My one train of thought though is uh, You know and again, we don't, we're not in their situation, but it's like if I'm Barrett Brown, Logan Regal, or Jordan Clearwater, on some level, I would try to do something to sort of like stand out and make myself indisposable to New Japan as a company, you know? And I feel like there's some guys who've really done that. Like, you know, um, uh, Russ Taylor, f- for instance, really comes to mind as someone who like stands out, uh, you know? I'm not saying that these guys need a hot dog or, you know, try to get shine that doesn't belong to them. But I'm saying, like, in the midst of doing your job, they need to try to, like, strive for some sort of higher level of excellence, I would say. Because I literally am not going to remember anything about anything. When I look back on this, I always just think Clark Connors looked good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, um, And, you know, there is an argument you could say, like, well, these guys made him look good but it's like i guess but it's like clark looks good against everybody so it's not just that you know what i mean um that's my that's my only one real critique there's nothing really to critique here it was a fine match um i was surprised that clark connor's team lost yeah that was surprising because you know considering you know clark is pretty much the only quote-unquote contracted guy there guy in the dojo and we've seen the past young lions go over some of these, you know, independent guys that they bring in in the past. Right. So I kind of thought that was starting to set a precedent to some level that like, hey, some of these lower level indie guys might kind, you know, it's sort of similar to the situation we saw with like the old Lions break shows, you know. Right. Um, the young Lions were kind of able to beat some of those younger, less experienced type of people that they brought onto those shows or even some of the older veterans. So, right. um but, but I don't know. Maybe they haven't really set up. You know, maybe they're just trying to keep it unpredictable here. Right. Well, Connors didn't get pinned though here, so that's interesting. They did protect him in there. Clearwater was the one that got pinned. I, I, you know, and one thing I was thinking: doesn't it kind of seem like Clark Connors has been on the losing end of quite a few matches? Is that part of a story that's ongoing? Maybe. Yeah, I think it might play into the whole. You know, Fredericks being the first one to graduate, and Connors is supposed to be the captain. Uh, of the the class and the head of the class and him struggling to catch up with Fredericks kind of thing. That's something I noticed and I was kind of thinking the same thing too. So yeah, definitely. So moving on to the next match, we had Blake Christian, Mysterioso and PJ Black defeat ACH, Alex Zane and the great TJP. <laughs> Please stop calling him the great TJP. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man. Uh, match of the night. Uh, match of the show so far. Like this is officially the greatest New Japan strong match in the history of New Japan. Um, 
it, it is already. Yeah. It's great. It's the greatest strong match they've ever had. Yeah, and we had a question here from Rambone Slam Pig. How great was it to see ACH back in action for New Japan? I hope once international travel is possible again, that we get to see him become a regular on the tours in Japan. But in the meantime, I can't wait to see what he does on NJPW Strong. Yeah, very excited. Um, I enjoyed seeing everybody here, but ACH kind of holds a special place uh, in my heart. I think for you too, Jeremy. I mean, uh, been watching him for years, seeing him in Ring of Honor, seeing him in PWG, different indies. We saw him and Brody King have a killer match uh, all in weekend at AAW. Yeah. Um, you know, and then once he left, he wasn't working Japan anymore. And obviously, all the moments, you know, just watch him work in like the uh, best super juniors and the super tag league and stuff like that, you know? So, I mean, a lot of, you know, experiences being kind of like exposed to ACH and big fans of his. And then when he was in um, NXT, he was all over the Largo loop and we got to see some really incredible encounters with him just like for $7 a a pop, which was pretty cool. Um, But, you know, uh, that whole thing obviously didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we kind of wondered and speculated about where he might end up. And we always sort of hoped and figured that the doors would be open for some sort of return to New Japan at some point. And, uh, you know, the day has finally come. And, uh, yeah, the prodigal son has returned. And it's pretty great. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, you mentioned the Largo loop. I'll never forget the night um, in Largo where – he was going by Albert Hardy Jr. in NXT, and we were singing, you know, the Zack Sabre Jr., Albert Hardy Jr., and had the whole yeah, he, Menrig Hall rocking to that. Yeah, he loved that. It was uh, That was pretty funny. And then um, we were actually, like, chanting ACH still for a while, and, at, and like, there's one night where he was like, shh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he just, like, calmed us down. He's like, you're going to get me in trouble. Like, stop calling me that. Yeah. Uh, which is cool. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, he looked phenomenal here, and that's no lie. Uh, everybody in this match looked really, really good. But, I mean, there are levels to everything, and it's like TJP and ACH both are kind of like the more seasoned guys. They just like – and I know PJ Black's there and things like that, and, you know, all these other guys have experience, but, like, you can tell – a difference in skill level and smoothness, fluidity, timing, like ACH and TJP are like on a, just honestly a whole different level, but everybody here, I mean, this felt almost like a, a mini PWG match. Literally. It did. Yeah. I mean, this was rich Lattice pro wrestling writing all over it. These guys were working super fast, flying and flipping all over the place. I mean, you have Alex Zane doing uh, shooting star knees to the back of somebody that's bent over. We've seen him in Tampa do that move, and that's one of his kind of signatures all over the place. Without so That was awesome. And he has all the flips, you know, P.J. Black doing 450s. Um, ACH, his hot tag or his dive, where he was just, like, diving all over the place was great. Yeah, these guys were just working super fast. Yeah, and, you know, um, we've kind of seen – PJ Black come over. We saw uh, Brody King. So, you know, we still kind of don't know exactly the full status of the Ring of Honor (laughs) relationship. But given how everything's going in COVID right now, I mean, there is a willingness for many companies to kind of at least share talent. uh, If for no other reason, I think probably for the benefit of the talent. Right. and so that's one of the things here. We're kind of seeing some ROH guys work some of these uh, New Japan Strong shows 
which actually is very interesting if you think about it. You know, we've kind of uh, pondered in the past about what does this partnership even really mean anymore going forward? And we may not necessarily see, like, say, Global Wars or War of the Worlds tours be these massive draws that they were in the past. But I'm not going to be surprised if we start seeing some of these New Japan USA talents show up on ROH TV and vice versa. Right, and we are going to see a little bit of that. So the uh, Ring of Honor Pure Tournament that was going to happen pre-COVID is getting ready to start back up, and David Finley is going to be in that tournament. I think there might be one other New Japan guy that's going to be in that Pure Tournament. So there is going to be some crossover there. You know, I've, I don't know. I've actually had a, like, kind of like a little, I mean, it's not a secret to Jeremy, but I've had something I haven't really talked about on the air. Do you think now is kind of the time to, like, tell people? Hey, if you want to, man. So, um, not a big deal. Nothing official. But uh, back in early July, uh, as you guys know, we've had um, former IWGP Junior Tag Team Champion Matt Seidel on the show. Um you know, longtime friend slash acquaintance of the show. And, um, yeah, he started a training school in the uh, Clearwater, like, St. Pete Pinellas Park area uh, called Sai Dojo. Uh, also, shout out to Sai Dojo if you guys get a chance, you know, uh, look them up online. I think they got merch and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, back in July, I started training with Matt Seidel um, to be a professional wrestler, which uh, – was really cool and was going really well. And then COVID got worse. <laughs> <laughs> and um, just as a, uh, you know, responsibility and precaution, I kind of stopped training. But I do 100% plan to continue my training. But I bring that up to kind of mention, you know, since he's one of the topics, uh, you know, I think that there's a high likelihood that we see uh, Matt Seidel in the New Japan ring again, which was something that I didn't think was likely, say, a few weeks ago, honestly. Right, and I know we had talked to Matt after that GCW show at the beginning of this year, and, you know, just kind of talking to him, you know, what do you think's next? And, you know, at the time, he hadn't started Seidel yet, and he was, you know, talking about what he wants to do, and you know, he was saying, you know, he would love to, you know, be on New Japan of America and get back to New Japan. So... Yeah, so I mean, I think that um, they made the announcement this past week uh, or so, maybe it was a week or two ago, that he is uh, like an official signee with the company. He's going to be in the ROH Pure tournament, which I think he's got to like, he's got to be one of the favored guys coming into that tournament, just given the state of ROH as it is right now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, like we just mentioned, we're seeing a lot of crossover between. New Japan guys and ROH guys, and I don't know that we ever see him in a Japanese ring in Japan, but I mean, he's a guy who's literally worked the, the New Japan system. He's been a star there before. I would not be surprised at all to see him at some point, and I haven't heard anything from him. Um, the only real connection that I've had is like I've met a couple wrestlers <laughs> uh, at the dojo, which has been pretty cool. Um, I won't name any names or anything like that, but uh, yeah, I think that there is a, a really good likelihood and possibility of him, you know, working 
for New Japan on one of these strong shows down the road, possibly. We'll see. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, Matt Seidel is one of these names. He's a guy that's been on WWE TV. He's been on Ring of Honor. He's been on Impact. He's literally been on every pretty much major American promotions TV in the last uh, decade or so. And he's definitely a marketable name that you can put on these shows. You know, eventually when we can start running shows again and they start doing some of these maybe strong tapings in other cities, Matt Seidel is a name you could advertise that will you know bring some butts in the seats. One thing I was thinking too with the New Japan Strong product, like they don't have a title necessarily. I guess the closest thing to a title is hypothetically the U the United States Championship, you know, which is currently mm-hmm. held by John Moxley. So it, this whole thing is strange. We got MLW guys here. The champion is basically an AEW guy. <laughs> We've got ROH guys like showing up. Like this is like a smorgasbord kind of, you know? Yeah. Um, and it does somewhat remind me of what was going on when the original uh, Inoki Dojo, uh, you know, kind of existed in the early part of the 2000s. And they also had a similar situation where they sort of partnered up with ROH and even the NWA. And there was a period of time where like the NWA title was the main title of uh, whatever they call you know, of the LA Dojo or New Japan of USA early 2000s. So I'm wondering if we could see something like that potentially. I'm not saying, um, for instance, I'm not saying the ROH world title or even say the new pure title would be the title, but I, I wonder if we might see some title defenses crossover, like a TV title defense or something like that from um roh in the future and i think that there's probably a good chance that sort of thing happening honestly yeah i think that'd be a lot of a lot of very interesting a lot of intrigue behind that definitely a way to kind of spice this show up and not having to create you know more titles for new japan and kind of yeah utilizing the partnership there i also think that they probably should work to get that u.s title more based within this company or within this side of the company personally i yeah, 100 um, agree yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about for years about how there's too many titles in New Japan. Uh, I think that there are some unique challenges presented when they've got their number one and number two titles tied up together. But regardless of that, they've got so many fallback titles. I don't think they really need the U.S. title in their repertoire. I mean, God knows they haven't had it anyways, and it's been fine. Like, John Moxley's been pulling <laughs> it all year. Um, I think that New Japan of... USA would probably benefit more by having that sort of like be the featured thing headline. And I also think the nice thing with it too is you could go back to Japan with it when needed. Exactly. Like for instance, if you remember like say all those ROH world title uh, defenses that used to happen in Japan back in the day, yeah, th- they always fell flat. No one really cared because it wasn't an established title there and the brand was kind of – I mean they had an awareness of it but it wasn't like they were fans of – say Adam Cole, you know, right. But if you've got a guy like juice or Kenta or whoever, they can easily show up for a tour with the U S title and it'd be completely fine because that title's been in major, you know, programs and, and things of that nature in Japan. It's recognizable. It's got a lineage. And I think that it could cross back and forth between the two, uh, you know, countries easily. Right, and it can be one of those things, too, where it's like you have a guy that's challenging that's never competed in Japan. Let's just say Mysterioso. 
he's never been to Japan. And so his big thing could be like, I want to win this title because I know that as a champion, at some point I get to go over to Japan. So it can be a wrestler's goal to get that title to kind of be their ticket to get to, you know, the main New Japan shows. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, anyways, let's talk about this match. So, I mean, we, we you mentioned, obviously, like, there were so many just incredible markout moments. And, um, you know, I couldn't believe my eyes. Like, from from beginning to end, this was just nonstop high-octane action. Uh, um, kind of reminded me also of, like, early 2000s TNA, like the X Division stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of that feel, um, you know, just – this year is one of those years where, given the current climate and situation, we haven't had a lot of what I would call great junior matches. And I could probably say, aside from maybe Mysterioso, and I, I don't know, I'm going to guess they probably consider him a quote-unquote junior. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, this might be like one of the first great junior matches we've had since like February. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a sub-eight-minute six-man tag. Uh, it's kind of crazy, but uh, yeah, I mean, this match was great. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I thought Blake Christian and Alex Zane, you know, uh, we've seen Alex Zane before, but those are two guys, as you mentioned last week, that kind of are one of those high-profile indie-style matches that they can, like, tour the country with, mm-hmm. and we saw the familiarity with those two guys. Mysterioso Jr. was in his element. PJ Black, you know, um, just great. I thought I thought everybody here just really, really, really shined. Um, this is blow away, and I would I would watch this again. Yeah, this was awesome. If you have not seen this match, definitely go out of your way to watch this six man tag match up here. I was surprised that um, ACH's team lost. I mean, you had ACH and TJP, two guys um, that are have been featured heavily in, in New Japan in the past. Obviously, TJP has been featured a lot in the last year or so since leaving WWE. Um, on the other side, you have Mysterioso is kind of the only quote-unquote New Japan veteran, and you had uh, P.J. Black and Blake Christian making their debuts here. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I I, I don't know. I mean, it didn't re- – I feel like because Alex Zane's the one who took the pinfall, it didn't really matter. Right. But, I mean, um, just a fantastic showing from everybody there. This is kind of what I was talking about in the first match, you know. Uh, I don't remember anything about Logan Regal, Barrett Brown, or Jordan Clearwater personally, but I remember distinct individual moments and performances from Blake Christian, from Alex Zane, from Mysterioso, and PJ Black, who I've got you know varying levels and degrees of uh, awareness and familiarity with some of these guys, but some of them I'm like Blake Christian I've never seen before, Alex Zane I've only seen in gifts and a couple new Japan matches, uh, Mysterioso junior, someone who I thought had talent, but I was never super impressed with personally. They all really ruled in this match. Like they shined here. And, um, I think that if they keep doing this style match, uh, in new Japan strong, it's something that can really be attractive long-term. Um, my one gripe is I just wish that there had been a crowd here because if there'd been a crowd, they would have been freaking out. Oh yeah. They would have lost their minds. Uh, Yeah. The the roof would have been blown off the place and this match would have been way more over than it is right. Than it is right now. Yeah. That. And, um, I think that a lot, I think a lot less people are aware of new Japan strong than even new Japan as a whole. Right. 
which already is a niche product. So one thing I'm going to ask everyone who's listening, if you are a diehard fan of New Japan Pro Wrestling, which I'm assuming you are because you're listening to our podcast, you need to be telling your friends, your, you know, people, your kind of like, uh, people that you know in pro wrestling and point them to this match specifically be like, yo, new Japan's running strong. You got to see this six man. It's fucking awesome. And trust me, you're going to look like the smart wrestling fan out of your friends. If you point them to this match, because a lot of people didn't see it and they need to see this shit. Yeah, definitely recommended watch ASAP. Like I mentioned, the team of Blake Christian, uh, Mysterioso and PJ black got the win here. PJ black, the springboard uh, 450 on Alex Zane to get the win for his team up. And I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, all six of these guys back and hopefully we'll get some one-on-one actions with some of these pairings here. One last thing I want to say about this. Um, you know, we see a lot of house style quote unquote tag matches in new Japan. And while that house style is really great and there are certain tropes and, you know, patterns and things that we see in new Japan, they usually make for, they're like pizza. It's always good. Even if it's not the best, it's always good. That's kind of the deal with tag team wrestling in New Japan specifically. It's always very formulaic, but it's always entertaining. Very rarely do we see something that kind of like breaks off entirely from the pack. And when we do, it's usually either going to be some sort of hard-hitting Hoss Strong style fight, you know, that kind of goes to a different level, or... We see like those famous matchups of like big stars like the Bucks against Kenny and and Abushi or like the matches with like um, Suzuki and Zack Saber Jr. Mm-hmm. And those matches kind of have their own feel. I can't remember the last time I saw a any tag match, whether it was a six man or, or much less, that was this style, which was like high octane, crazy, you know, juniors just flying around. I think literally since the Bucks have left, we haven't had anything like this. In, yeah. You know, even though they've got a quote unquote junior division, I mean, it's not like the days of like forever hooligans and Red you know, Dragon, Red Dragon, Rapongi Vice, and, and all that stuff. We don't have that going on. It's been a long time. This felt more like either PWG or Dragon Gate than anything else. And so I would love for them to implement more of this in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I know I'm not always the flip guy. I know like Jeremy likes that stuff more than I do, but I mean, you have to have your matches like this, you know. Uh, when you want to point someone towards wrestling in New Japan and things of that nature, it's nice to have an Osprey, uh, uh, you know, ricochet, ricochet in yeah. the back of your pocket that you can point to. And this six man tag is one of those things where it's like, Someone doesn't know New Japan, you point them to this, they're going to love it. Yeah, so yeah, I want to see more Blake Christian, more Alex Zane, I'll see more ACH, more PJ Black. Also, we'll see TGP and Mysterioso more, but yeah, I definitely want to see these guys more. I feel like those names, those guys that are not currently signed, well, actually, we really don't know what their status is, but these are guys... We don't know anything. <laughs> these are guys that they should be locking down. These are names that aw WWE are going to see and are going to want to scoop up and so new japan should do a smart thing here try and lock these guys down to make them you know key attractions for new japan strong oh bro and another thing tjp impact superstar mm-hmm. bro we got guys from impact mlw gcw and aew and gcw and ROH all on the same show. Like five different promotions. It's freaking nuts. The doors, the doors are open. The, bro, 
New Japan Strong is the forbidden door. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about this uh, tournament. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> yep, so uh, semifinal match here. David Finley defeats the good bad guy, Tamatonga. Seven minutes, ten seconds to advance. Yeah, beat him, man. So let's talk about uh, the f- final matchup here. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, man, um, I was thinking about it while I was watching this match, and I thought to myself, you know what, I think Tama's going to lose. And then I started thinking about last week's episode, and I was like, I spent a lot of time hypothesizing and speculating about the inner workings of Bullet Club and how this is all going to play out. Tama versus Kenta, Jay White's Bullet Club versus Evil's Bullet Club, Civil War. Oh, man, just so much nuance. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, Dave Finley's going to win. Kenta's going to win. This is bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) And I I started thinking about it. And I knew that that's what was going to happen. And I was like, I don't regret us spending so much time on that. But why didn't we we talk more last week about Dave Finley winning? Because it's like thinking about it afterwards in hindsight, it seems so obvious. Yeah. I don't know. Like Dave Finley, like – don't get me wrong, guy's a solid worker, but he's just so like bland to me. He's just so bleh. Like it's not really much exciting about him. And uh, whenever they try and do something with him, it's like it just comes comes off flat. And you know, there's a lot of people saying, you know, well now's his chance. Give him a shot. Give him his turn. It's like, dude, they had a shot when he came back from injury, and they yep. had, they had this man get squashed by the Murder Hawk monster, Lance Archer. Yup. Preach, Jeremy. <laughs> I was like, what are we talk do? about it? You got Tamatonga, who's, you know, former IWGP tag champ, one of the top guys in New Japan, has been in New Japan for a while. You know, it just felt like something like, I don't know, it just felt like it was his time to do something with Tamatonga over there, Finley. You know, here's the thing looking at it on paper, if you're just going by the typical quote unquote Gato style booking, Dave Finley against Kenta seemed like a pretty likely, given where we were at last week, seems like a pretty likely final. Um, but I think part of the reason we didn't want to talk about it is just because that's boring. Because Dave Finley has, and I will I will gladly eat my words and look stupid if I'm wrong about this, but I'm telling you right now, he's got no chance. Da-da-da-da-da. That's what he's got. <laughs> no chance in hell, bro. <laughs> he has no chance of winning this thing. And even if he did, he's not beating John Moxley or whoever it is that ends up being the guy he faces for the U.S. title. Like, Dave Finley's not winning this U.S. belt. Not right now. And if he does, if Dave Finley were to win it, then New Japan is going down the, the whole – like, it, they're going in the shitter because there's been no good build. This tournament itself is not a good build. Trust me. Like, I know you can build people in a tournament, but this ain't the way. Winning, getting a win over Chase and getting a win over Tama is not it, Chief. Like, <laughs> right, and, and especially like this match looks like nothing special. Like seven nope. minutes, ten seconds, and it just felt like a standard match. You could you could slap this on the opening of a Cork and Hall show. Like, yeah, just subpar. Like nothing memorable. This match, like. They follow this, you know, the banger six man tag, and then they come out here, and it's just like it's kind of a standard, just kind of bled, just kind of, just kind of there. Yeah, and here's one of the things uh, with Lions Break Collision. What I liked about it was that it was typically two matches, 
and we're in and out. This is like an hour show, and they put four matches on it, and they were, aside from the main event, shorter. And I guess that's there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't know that I'm a big fan of it, to be honest with you. I would prefer if they had done, say, the tag matches one week and then the tournament matches another week and given them all more time. Mm, yeah. That's actually what I thought they were doing. I was confused when I realized that all four matches were on the same show. I was like, that's an hour show. It's not a lot of time. You know, it's fine. But it's like you know what you're getting at that point. And um, that's the thing. You know, Dave Finley, you you hit it right on the the nail right on the head when you mentioned it. He seemed like he was ready for a push. He was hot. He was rehabbed. And he came back from his injury, and they used it to build a guy who's an AW now. <laughs> <laughs> also, I see a lot of complaining online about like the elite leaving for AW, but I don't see anyone complaining online about uh, Murderhawk Monster, you know, doing what's best for his family going over there. I think people should come with the same energy. They want to, <laughs> you know. They want to go at the Bucks and go at Kenny and Hangman like that. Why don't you guys go for Lance Archer the same way? And Or how about just like leave the whole thing alone? It's fine. Right. But um, <laughs> I do think that that was maybe ill. I don't know if they should have invested so much in Lance Archer if they weren't going to sign him to a contract. And instead, they burned one of their guys who is literally a dojo boy. <laughs> and now, here we are. August are we in August yeah August 17th as August recording this this year's been crazy August of 2020 and you got Dave Finley in the semifinals of a tournament that no one believes he can win and if he does win it's a no-win situation like he should not win he probably shouldn't even beat Tama honestly yeah I, I felt like Tama should have won I thought the more intriguing match would have been Tama versus Kenta for all the reasons we mentioned last week well, there's one other reason that we haven't mentioned. You actually brought it up to me off the air, and it was a great point. So I'll give you credit for it. This is not my thought, but it's something you mentioned. He just beat Brody King. Right. I mean, they, they set him up. They gave him this big win over Brody. You know, a lot of people were upset that Brody lost. Um, I just felt like that was that was a really good match. He had a lot of momentum coming from that match where, you know, Finley has kind of had a, a fine match with Chase Owens. And then to come in here again and just have another fine match. I just felt like this was the time to kind of elevate Tamatonga. You know, all the interviews of him wanting to be you know, talking about being singles and especially with them being stuck in the U.S. right now, there's no tag titles for G.O.D. to go after. So I think it would have been a, a better booking decision to go with Tama. Yeah, I think that would be the more intriguing thing. I mean, I'll hold off. Ultimately, I'm going to hold off and uh, about criticisms because we don't know entirely what way they're going to go, but I would have I would have enjoyed the intrigue of what is an all bullet club final look like, you know, even right. if it, if it's just for a tournament like this. But now that I know that it's Dave Finley, and I, you know what, we like Dave Finley. We've always liked Dave Finley, but they jobbed him out so many times that it's like, how can I care or believe in him until they've rehabbed him? And this tournament's not enough to rehab him. If they really want to rehab him, they need to do more than just this. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, like you said, nothing match, there's nothing bad about it. I, I don't even know if I could actually literally go three stars and it wasn't a bad match. There's nothing wrong with it, but I mean, it was seven minutes. 
It was evenly picked up a win. It was an average, just average match that did not maximize the minutes. You look at the previous match, the trios match. They literally maximized yeah. every minute they had and created several memorable, gifable moments. And here it was just standard. I would also say last week that um, someone mentioned like Brody King getting buried. Now, while I won't say Brody King was buried, um, I think it's a more troubling loss since the guy that beat him convincingly and clean just lost to Dave Finley, who's a no-hoper in this tournament. Right. And I gotta call spade a spade. That is what he is. He's no hoper. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I'm Brody King, I'm not necessarily. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much of he is a mark for his like booking, but um, I wouldn't be happy about those various decisions about how they book this out. Yeah. So before Let's we talk move, about the finals. Well, we had a question here from uh, Highest Fly Flow in Discord. He says, "Have you guys seen Handsome Scooterward? Tama looks just like him." <laughs> Tama uh, looks unsettling to me. <laughs> I know. I, see, I heard a lot of people compare it to like when your your dad, you know, shaves his beard or his mustache when you see him as a kid, and you you get freaked out because you're not used to seeing him. And a lot of people have been comparing it to that. Uh, Bro, he's he's like a David Lynch film, like. There's something like just kind of off, and you don't know what it is, but it's super unsettling, and that's what it is. Like nothing, nothing. Like he looks great without a beard, you know. And he used to wrestle like that for years, but you just get so used to seeing him with the beard that, like, when he suddenly doesn't have it, you're like, "What the fuck, <laughs> dude?" That'd be like me shaving off my beard. Like, what would you do Bro. if, like, next week I showed up to record for recording and I had no beard? I'd be mad confused, honestly. Like, I wouldn't know what was going on. Like, So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I stand on it. He doesn't look bad at all. I mean, hey, if his – I actually saw this video. It was real funny. I saw this video on uh, Instagram where this, like, dad, like, young dad, he was, like, our age, he shaved his face, and, like, he hadn't shaved his face at all since he, like, was with his wife. Like, since they started dating. Wow. And they had, like, two young kids, and he, like, shaved his whole, like, joint, right? And he comes out, and he's like, I did something. And she's like, why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> and then he, like, walks up to this, like, little daughter, and she's, like, kind of, like, about to cry. Like, she's upset. And then, like, he's got this little, like, baby son, and he, like, tries to put his arms out, and the, the kid won't go to him. He's, like, shaking his head no and crying. And, like, the caption was, like, this man's this man's beard was holding his entire family together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, he completely lost favor with everybody in his family. Man. Yeah. That's, and, that, yeah. And, and I just want to point out, Bullet Club was fine. Tama shaves his beard. Evil's the fucking IWGP champion. Conspiracy? I don't think so. Mm, thoughts connected. <laughs> but uh, let's move on to this uh, main event here. So we have Kenta defeating Jeff Cobb. 14 minutes, 38 seconds here to advance to the finals of the New Japan Cup USA. Yeah, I didn't like this match. <laughs> <laughs> you know... I thought it was fine. Um, it it had a, a, a slow pace, or kind of a really slow pace. Um, there were some good spots where Jeff Cobb got to show off his strength. Um, he did. I felt like I was watching 1980s Jim Crockett, but not <laughs> like a pay-per-view or a special, more like, you know, um, superstars of the Superstation, like, you know, 
<laughs> uh, Honestly, it yeah. felt slow as fuck. Yeah, I don't know what I don't know what's going on. Yeah, it was it was really slow. Obviously, Kenta was you know healing up, trying to slow down Cobb and you know get heat from the the invisible crowd um, in the arena. Um, you know, I, I thought Cobb looked good here. He had a lot of you know, good strength strength spots. He did the uh, the AJ Styles dropkick spot, which is pretty impressive for a guy his size and. Um. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, but spot good spots do not a match make it right. Like you can't just have impressive spots and expect the match to be good, as you know, contrary to popular belief. And yeah, Jeff Cobb is an athlete, and he is really a great wrestler. You know, it's one inch. Okay, I've got some hot takes here this week. Here's a hot take: Matanza Cueto is better than Jeff Cobb. Mm. He had better matches with better stories. And like I feel like Matanza Cueto versus Kenta would be a banger. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Here's another hot take. Um, I think James and Rich might have been right about Kenta slash Hideo Itami back in 2013, and I was unwilling to admit it. Shout out to Rich and James. That he's washed? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay. But I mean, what, what about his G1 last summer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was about to bring up, like, obviously I'm being a little, like, hyperbolic for comedic effect, but, like, it's very clear Kenta's not what he was years ago. And, like, I know we always say that, but, like, I used to think, like, well, you know, you put him in the right environment, the right workers, right situation, yada, yada. But nah, man, I don't know. Like, him and Jeff Cobb should have had at least a good match. I honestly, like, I guess you could call this quote-unquote good, but at 14 minutes in the main event, I know it's empty arena. I know it's taped show, but like, come on, dude, you're supposed to be like two of the best wrestlers in the world. Supposed to mean something. And this didn't feel like it meant shit to me. Honestly, this is boring. Yeah. I mean, I I thought it was a good match. I think the problem here was the story of the match with Kenta trying to avoid Cobb, trying to avoid the power, trying to, you know, kind of weasel his way around the match. Also, I think the previous match in the Carl Fredericks match, he was more wrestling a more of a Kenta style where he was very aggressive. He knew he could beat Carl, so he was, you know, being very aggressive, being hard, very hard-hitting. And here he knew that he couldn't outpower Cobb, and so he was trying to be very sly and sneaky, and, you know, it was just it's a weird kind of story here. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, it, I'm looking at Grapple. It's got an average of 3.0, literally on the dot. So you could go Gentleman's 3. I just don't think that on the second week of New Japan Strong – Kenta and Jeff Cobb should be having a three-star 15-minute match. Right. And, yeah, uh, I was not – I mean, like, I kind of knew that the six-man tag was going to be great, but, like, I kind of expected – I was like, you know, it's Kenta and it's Jeff Cobb. They're going to, like, kill it. And they didn't even, like, kind of a little bit kill it. They, like, let it live. (laughs) Yeah. They left it alone. Like, it was fine. (laughs) So, I mean, that's sort of – and then I guess kind of talking about the booking here, now we're left with a situation where the finals are Dave Finley and Kenta. And Dave Finley is, in my opinion at this point, in the ultimate underdog quote-unquote role. But he shouldn't win. Right. So, I mean, I guess the best-case scenario is he has a really good showing in defeat against Kenta – 
But like based off of I don't know, man. I wasn't as high in that Kenta Carl Fredericks match match as you were and everybody else. And I I wasn't that high on the Jeff Cobb match either. I didn't like the Naito match. Like it's been a while since he showed me something since like say the Ishii match. Like I don't have high hopes for this match with him and Dave Finley, honestly, either. Yeah, so that's going to be you know the main event next week on Strong Kenta versus Dave Finley for the finals of this uh, New Japan Cup USA. Something also that we failed to mention at the beginning of the show, they did show a red briefcase um, showing that's with the kind of the tile shot, kind of a similar to uh, the G One briefcase. So that's going to be they very. They also showed the New Japan Cup of of America, the New Japan Cup. Uh, of America or of USA? How, what is the actual title? New Japan Cup USA. Yeah, they showed the actual trophy for the New Japan Cup of USA. And man, they couldn't get a better trophy than that. <laughs> <laughs> this is a company that is renowned for their trophies. They got this weak ass looking trophy. <laughs> hey, man. It's COVID, man. Times are tough. You get what you can get. Nah, bro. <laughs> If if Cody could get a belt maker to redo the TNT title, they could have got someone to make make it a little bigger. It's this tiny ass thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but I, I, you know, they got the briefcase. Also, here's another hot take: I don't like briefcases in New Japan. Feels too WWE for me. Well, we're getting a lot. You know why? You know why they're getting a briefcase, right? Because he's going to defend the whoever wins the cup. They're going to have to defend the shit, right? Until they can get the Moxley <laughs> match to happen. Now it's like completely confirmed. They, they're giving him a briefcase because they don't know when they're going to get a chance to fight John Moxley. And you know it's going to be Kenta walking around with that red-ass briefcase, hitting people in the head with it to win matches. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Are you ready for Kenta to run? You know, to be playing the dastardly heel running defense and, and hitting people in the head with his briefcase because he doesn't have a heater? Yeah, that's something, too, that we forgot to mention here. There was uh, a ref bump here in the match uh, that caused Kenta to take advantage of Jeff Cobb. Dick kick. Yep. Kicked him in his dick togo. Uh, he kicked him He kicked him in the dick like he's Undertaker in 2015, just kicking <laughs> everybody in the dick. Yeah, and rolled him up. So, Yeah, man, I, I like Strong. I like the presentation, but um, – I, I miss lines break collision of the USA project. <laughs> <laughs> Had really good. Also, here's another hot take. Um, of all the tournaments that occurred in this past, you know, one to two months, the six man tag tournament is by far the best tournament. I mean, there there was a lot of solid matches in that tournament. There are some good matches in that tournament, and um, if you would have. If I had to have guessed, I would have said this tournament was going to be the good tournament. I would have been wrong. Um, and I don't have – we'll get into it later, but I don't have high hopes for this KOPW tournament, honestly. <laughs> um, so we did have a question here from Kevin from D.C. He says, who do you see coming away with the number one contendership to the IWGP U.S. Heavyweight Championship at the conclusion of Strong's event on Friday? My money's on Kenta, but either wrestler could win the match, and I wouldn't complain at all. Furthermore, who do you see having a better performance between David Finley and Kenta? Um, Kenta. Yeah, I think Kenta. Ken, Kenta. Like Kenta, Kenta, and Kenta are the answers <laughs> to all his questions. <laughs> yeah, I think Kenta is going to win this match, be the number one contender. It, it makes the most sense. Kenta is a guy who, um, last time he was in Japan, was challenging for the double titles. Before that, he was a never title match at Wrestle Kingdom and. Having this hot feud with Chibata, 
Uh, meanwhile, you got David Finley, who you know is primarily a tag team guy with uh, Juice, and you know hasn't won a singles title in New Japan yet, and really hasn't really broken out yet. So I don't think the smart move here would to be to beat Kenta with Finley. So I think Kenta wins here. I think he'll have a better performance as well. Yeah, I totally agree. So also next week they mentioned that Rocky Romero would be in action. We don't have his match confirmed as of this recording. Also mentioned, this was mentioned on the the post show, which is called Finish Strong, which was hosted by Chris Charlton. And on there they recapped Strong and they had an interview with Dave Finley. And they also announced that Switchblade Jay White will be in action next week on NJPW Strong. Yeah, and one thing I have to say about that is we've had speculation in the past, like, you know, will Jay White be showing up in Japan? You know, um, and there have been some keys and some clues, you know, as to what may or may not be happening with him. I've seen a lot of people online kind of say, oh, well, he's showing up in uh, on Strong in, you know, a week or two. So I guess that kind of eliminates the possibility of him showing up at, say, Jingu Stadium or something of that nature. That's not the case. Um, and the reason that we know that is because New Japan Strong is a pre-recorded show. They recorded like four or five weeks of it all in advance. So this appearance from Jay White, it happened weeks ago. Right. So, yeah, he can definitely uh, head to Japan and do a two-week quarantine and be uh, showing up at Jingu Show or showing up in the G1. Yeah, some Rick Rude shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we had a question from a uh, Reddit user PSAN91 With the announcement on Finish Strong That Switchblade Jay White will be on Strong next week Do you think that rules him out of coming to Japan anytime soon? So we just kind of answer that uh, Yeah, I think we will be seeing Jay White in Japan soon I think it does rule out some of my earlier comments Where I had sort of mentioned uh, I don't know exactly what I said It's been a few weeks, but um. One one of the I guess one of the things I was thinking is like you know people had asked about why Jay White wasn't in per- this particular tournament you know I think if the fact w- of the matter was that he was actually there when they were taping the tournament it goes to show you that they did not want him taking any losses or being the winner of this tournament um, but I also kind of speculated that maybe the show was sort of beneath him to a certain degree and I think that this actually shows that they're trying their hardest at least for now to treat this show with some semblance of credibility. Um, And having him on the show actually does that quite a bit. Yeah, I I think, yeah, it's one of those things where we don't want to beat this guy. We don't, because if if Jay was in the tournament, I'm pretty sure Jay would have just had to have won the whole thing. And clearly that's not the direction they're going with him right now. He's probably going to show up in Jingu. He's probably going to be in G1. Um, They don't want to get him tied up and strong. So I think we get him a one-time appearance, get him a match, let you know he's you know still around, and then he's going to pop up in Japan. They didn't want to create an entanglement, Jeremy. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, had a question here from Ken from D.C. Do you think Jay White will cut a promo or discuss leadership on Friday's show, considering he's stuck in the U.S. while Evil's holding both belts? That is an interesting question. Um, I think that that is something that we'll all be looking out for, but I don't know the answer. I don't think we know really know the answer. Uh, it's hard to say how canon everything that happens within New Japan Strong and New Japan of USA 
will really be when it correlates to say New Japan proper. But I'm hoping that I mean that would be kind of like at least a little wrinkle or something kind of nice and exciting to have him hint or address it in some way on an actual authorized you know platform like that. Yeah, and you know we we have seen post match promos after matches from a lot of you know the main New Japan guys. And so definitely, you know, Jay White is a great promo. I could easily see them doing some kind of, you know, press conference post-match promo where he's, you know, talking about maybe just the bullet club is fine kind of thing and whatever. But I definitely think he'll say something. Yeah. And also speaking of um, post-match promos, Dave Finley cut one and I was like appalled at how bad it was. (laughs) I was like, man, come on, bro. Like, again, just like how I mentioned earlier, like some of those wrestlers need to like maximize their opportunities in the ring if they're gonna give you the mic and give you a big win in this tournament you need to maximize your moment on the mic and like he just cut like the standard baby face i'm gonna do my best look out i'm gonna try real hard i'm gonna gonna win what (laughs) bro how long have you been wrestling come on bro like i would go if i was a wrestler well maybe i will be um but if i was a wrestler and i wasn't good on the mic i would go get acting classes i take improv classes i like go to toastmasters and learn how to give speeches i would do whatever it takes because like maybe you can only go so far when it comes to the athletics and the physical side of wrestling but dude look at guys like um who's that one guy eli drake Mm -hmm. yeah he's like okay but he's phenomenal on the mic and it really accentuates like everything about him you know right there's so many guys you can think of that maybe they're in ring wasn't good or just okay but then they were able to kind of capture you with their personality with their promos um you know one guy that kind of popped in my head because i just saw a twitter promo from him recently from back in the day was the alpha male monty brown um you know he wasn't like some kind of crazy you know in-ring workhorse but his, that's true his promos were great and like he was just <laughs> he, he had a ton of charisma a ton of personality and i was i was a big mark for him just based off the promos yeah I just, um, you know, if, if I'm Dave Finley, we all know he's he can really go in the ring. He really can. And given better booking, um, you know, he might not be seen the same way as he is right now currently in the company. But if you're going to move into this U.S. market, you need marketable personalities. And right now, Dave Finley's not one of those personalities. He's a guy who, like, at best cuts goofy, funny promos with Juice when they're in, like, Tag League. And that's about it. Right. Other than that, he just cuts these weird self-deprecating nothings. And it's like, you can't be doing that. You have to create conflict to create cash so people want to see you fight and either get beat up or beat someone else up. And, like, that's the whole art of, like, drawing money and, like... He needs to draw. Like he needs to do something to like become a draw because like this shit's not going to work if he if he's doing what he did the other night. Right. And then I don't know if you saw his interview on uh, Finish Strong with Chris Charlton. Like it just kind of came off as like it's just a dude just talking. Yeah, it's like you literally are in the finals of a tournament in a singles tournament for New Japan Pro Wrestling. You've never been in this position, and nothing. <laughs> so um let me ask you you mentioned it finish strong i know people have been talking about it i'm actually not as caught up to date so is this 
a post show on like YouTube or is it like a podcast? What is it exactly? Yeah, so it's a post show. It's on YouTube. It's also on NJPW World. Uh, comes up, I believe it's the next day. It comes comes up, and so it's like a little eight minute show. Chris Charlton. Okay. Chris Charlton's in a studio. He runs down the results of Strong, shows some highlights, and then he uh, he brought on David Finley. Did a quick little interview with him, and then after that, he announced uh, Jay White coming next week. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I'll definitely check that out. I sort of thought it was a bigger commitment than that. That actually sounds pretty doable. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question here from uh, Reddit user Hawaiian Punch BV. Why is everyone talking about the Wednesday night wars when the real war is on Friday nights? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, SmackDown on Fox versus New Japan Pro Wrestling on their own streaming service. <laughs> um, he also asks, is there any indie talent from California that you would like to see get a shot on NJPW Strong? Warhorse. Oh, don't know. <laughs> Let's not start this again. <laughs> no, I, I actually don't know that many, uh, you know, California talents. Like I did back in the day, you know, but a lot of those guys are in the majors now. So I don't have anyone in particular that I can think of. I like Russ Taylor. That's my guy now. Yeah, I can't think of anybody specifically that's California Indies. When I think California Indies, I start thinking about like Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus and all these guys are already in AEW. I um, think of like the guys in SCU. Right. You know, all the guys that were in PWG back in the day. Like, that's kind of what I think of. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Cobb was one of the top guys in, in the California area, and also he's doing things. So, yeah, I can't think of any very specific California, but if we're just throwing out indie names, um, you know, A.R. Fox is a guy that I don't exactly know what's up with him. I know he was on an indie show today, um, but he's a guy. I don't know what it's – I know Evolve contracts, some guys are getting signed by WWE. I don't know what his deal is, but he's a guy that needs to get signed up by somebody. And I think having him kind of in that, that quick style match that we had with the six-man tag, having A.R. Fox in that kind of style of match and utilizing him would be dope. Filthy Tom had been my like choice of guys that I thought w- would like really fit in, um, and I guess technically he hasn't been on this show yet, but I'm hoping they bring him back. Yeah, Filthy Tom would be uh, great going forward. They could bring in Brian Alvarez. Yeah, they they could. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't I I don't know, man. I mean, the Indies are so depleted now. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, a lot of like the top you know quote unquote indie names are pretty much. In WWE or AEW right now, or I mean MLW Ring of Honor. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are signed up. Um, so yeah, I don't really know who you would consider like top star. I mean, they're bringing in you know your your Alex Zanes and Blake Christians already. Um, there's Tony Deppin who's really good that can make a splash. Um, I mean, know. Leo Rush is kind of just chilling out there. Just yeah. saying. Yeah, Leo Rush would be another guy to bring in the kind of this junior style that they're you know cultivating them there. And uh, we you know our local boys, the OAO uh, Snoop. Hollywood and uh, Hunter Law would be great. Well, one, in- one interesting name, and they have him featured on the show, but I, I noticed, I saw this recently where Jeff Cobb had mentioned that he's already signed somewhere, but they haven't made the actual announcement. What does that sound like to you? Because that sounds like AEW to me. I, I've been trying to figure it out because yeah, he said he wants to wait for the company to announce it so that the credit goes to them and nothing goes on him. Is it ROH again? That's it has to be because if, if it was AEW, I feel like he wouldn't be doing New Japan Strong. 
why wouldn't he? I mean, like if he's got a he, we already know from based on what they've said in the past that they they're gonna if he does if he had signed with them based on the offer they made previously he was gonna be allowed to do both companies you right, know? but allowed to be, to wrestle in Japan. It'd be, right. it'd be it'd be a similar John Moxley situation. Maybe he got a better deal in John Moxley. We don't know what kind of. I mean, he could be a <laughs> finesser, bro. You don't know. Um, I mean, ROH. Maybe he liked working to ROH. Maybe he's resigned with them. I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, R- ROH has been pretty quiet until as of late, where they kind of announced a pure tournament and all this stuff. So maybe ROH is the spot. And I know Cobb's big goal. He wants to keep wrestling in Japan. So obviously. If he's gonna stay with any company stateside, Ring of Honor would make the most sense. No, and not necessarily with AEW, he would be allowed to work Japan. Right. I'm just thinking. I don't know. I just feel like if he was signed already, I, I guess we don't know what the contract the situation is, but I just feel like he wouldn't be Ex- on, on strong. Or maybe that's why he lost Kenta. That that was his last strong show. Maybe who knows? Yeah, I'm saying. Like, here's the thing: is like he. They haven't made an announcement about him even being signed. Let's say hypothetically he's with AEW. It's not really like quote unquote official until they make some sort of like real announcement. Right. Especially if like hypothetically he had an agreement or an arrangement to make these dates. It's not uncommon for wrestlers to finish out their dates before they show up somewhere. You know what I mean? Right, right. But then, you know, we're kind of foregoing the other option what if he's signed with new japan and they just haven't announced it yet because they can't bring him to japan yet because of the situation but maybe maybe they're gonna like actually sign him sign him for real yeah that'd be cool i think Cobb would be a great addition to you know the main roster full-time roster whatever you want to call it so yeah we'll definitely have to keep up on Cobb watch and see where he ends up uh, landing can i uh give you another hot take yeah I miss Michael Elgin. <laughs> oh my boy. <laughs> you are just trying to get this show buried, aren't you? <laughs> why would I get why would we get buried? For missing uh Big Mike? It's I a, mean yeah, he's a terrible person, but newsflash, most of your wrestlers that you like probably are. <laughs> <laughs> um but I I just I miss the physicality and the style of matches that he wrestled in New Japan. Yeah, you know, despite, you know, what he's done outside the ring. Elgin, uh, great professional wrestler and definitely somebody that fit in very well in the New Japan style. Uh, moving on to the next question here uh, from Reddit user Viking Pain. He says, "Who on Strong has caught your attention so far, and who would you like to see get a chance on Strong?" I mean, I don't know if anyone's really caught my attention. I mean, the the young lions always look great. I think ACH looked awesome. TJP always looks good. Um, I don't think there's been a breakout guy just yet the way that made me say for me, Russ Taylor broke out on the previous show, Mm -hmm. but I haven't really, we haven't had that yet, but we're only two weeks in. So, yeah, I mean, also the the six man was kind of the thing that caught my eye this week. And like we talked about earlier, ACH and TJP are just two guys on a whole nother level. And it was just great. You know, we haven't seen the ACH in a while, so I know how great he is, but it was still, you know, still caught me just, you know, that's how good he was in that match and how, he just kind of led that match. Yeah, it feels like cheating saying him because we already know he's great. And right. I would have said T- Tama too, but we know that Tama, when he is called upon to be great, can has that in him, and he showed that the other week. But then, you know, the next week it was a whatever match and he lost. So uh, I don't know, man. I think uh, it's a little too early to tell. 
I think we also got an earlier question about people we'd like to see show up. Uh, we kind of speculated about some names, but I don't think we have any like definitive people that we'd like to see come over. I'll tell you one thing. I'd like to see some Ring of Honor guys come over. I wouldn't yeah. mind seeing like Jay Lethal or the Briscoes or something of that nature. Yeah, Jonathan Gresham. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of guys from the Ring of Honor roster that are here just sitting stateside that they could use and mix some things up here. Oh, um, Beer City Bruiser and uh, Malo- Brian Malonius. You love the the, the bouncers, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the bouncers. <laughs> um, Rhett Titus. All right. You <laughs> you started up high and now you're just... <laughs> is Rhett Titus still with them? I believe he is. I think he's a, yeah. an, an ROH lifer. Isn't he like one of the dogs? Are they still a tag team? Uh, I think they had broken up pre-COVID. Uh Oh, they should bring over Vinny, Vincent, <laughs> the whore, the 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 fiend light guy. Okay, I think maybe this this is a bad idea now. <laughs> <laughs> we don't we don't want to open this door anymore. <laughs> I feel like Matt going back to ROH is like, and I made this joke last week, but I'm gonna just make it again. It's like a uh, Y2J 2009, like save us, Matt Seidel. <laughs> <laughs> um. And then uh, Viking Pin's second question, we kind of already uh, talked about. He asked about any news on Jeff Cobb. He said on uh, Wrestling Observer YouTube interview that he had signed with a company recently and is just waiting for the company to confirm. Is he New Japan bound? So we kind of speculated on that already. So just kind of have to keep our eyes open and see where he lands. That was Viking Pain who asked that? Yeah. Sorry that we, uh, you know, jumped on your question before you asked it, but we are in line with one another. That's because we're always ahead here on social suplex we try to be <laughs> uh next question here from uh, king dw510 in the discord says you guys think there will be a best of super juniors for the u.s there seems to be a lot of juniors working in njpw us right now and i've seen a rocky romero interview where he said it's a possibility and who would you guys want to see in it that's an interesting question i mean for me I feel like you need to like the super juniors is such a important and prestigious tournament. Like if you're going to do it, then you just do it, you know? And, um, again, I'm not a huge fan of them doing like a derivative U S version of it. Like Mm -hmm. they, they did that. They did three U S super junior tournaments in the mid two thousands. And each one of them were single elimination tournaments. And the winner was supposedly supposed to get a berth into the uh, proper best super juniors tournament, but no one who ever won that U S tournament actually ended up winning the real tournament. The only guy that came close was like Danielson in what? Oh, two Oh three, something like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, man, I'm not a huge fan of it. Honestly, like I said the same thing last week. I'm not opposed to junior tournaments. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not uh, the idea of them having like a tournament where the best juniors in America fight sound does sound awesome, but maybe they should just like create their own tournament and their own identity here in the U S that's what I like. I don't like the idea that they're fighting some sort of juniored, um, not juniored, but like some sort of like, light version of a Japanese tournament with us guys and just slap USA on it. And then that's what it is. Like do your own shit, come up with something that's original and cool. And it doesn't even have to be called like best of super juniors, but maybe it can be a junior style tournament 
that catapults the winner into some sort of meaningful position within the junior division as a whole. Right, and I, t- I totally agree with you. Like we talked about it last week with the New Japan Cup USA name, and so yeah, I definitely think it would help Strong to kind of build its identity on its own um, and create these kind of unique things to that brand. But um, if we're talking about them doing a junior tournament, whether it's Super Juniors of USA or whatever, I mean, what juniors would you want to see? I think we've kind of like speculated. I mean, I would. I think all six of these guys that were on the show could definitely be in it. Right. And I mean, you, you throw in Clark Connors, uh, Carl Fredericks. Well, actually, Fredericks is probably a heavyweight. Fredericks probably too big. Yeah, um, but Connors definitely. I mean, I don't know where the heck Red Narita is, but Narita is somebody you could throw in here. I read that Red Narita is in Japan or England, one or the other. Mm. So that might explain why we're not seeing him. Gotcha. Maybe Shooter could show up for this tournament. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, man. Um, DKC. Like, I'm just kind of naming guys that we've seen show up. Russ Taylor, your boy. He's too big, I think. think? I don't think he's a junior. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like we said, uh, Leo Rush, he's a guy. There's there's some guys out there. I don't know. But, you know, the indies are not what they were before. Right. It's slim pickings right now. Yeah. Yo, it's crazy. What's... What's that one company that's running a G1? Oh, yeah. They've, they've talked about it on Flagship. Uh, the name of the company is escaping my mind right now, but they're, they're doing their own block tournament. There's like this indie company that's doing a block tournament over like nine months or some shit like that. Uh, bro, it's crazy selling. <laughs> like, it's not going to work. Remember when um, – and I'm, I hate to be like negative like that, but do you remember when um, Flow Slam tried to do their different styles tournaments and it was supposed to be a season thing and it went – on and on and on yeah the style battles or whatever yeah yeah and people kept winning style battles and then kept getting signed by big companies and then disappearing and then not being able to come back for like the main style battle like tournament and then like the the main tournament ended up running like wrestlemania weekend against like spring break takeover and some other shit and like no one went to it (laughs) (laughs) so like uh those kind like doing some if you're gonna do an indie tournament on the indies like you want to do it in one maybe two, three nights max. You do not want to do it over a lengthy period of time. Like you have no assurance of what's going to happen with your roster and your, you know, contracted or non-contracted wrestlers or whatever. Like it's not a healthy proposition. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Next question here from Kevin from DC. Oh, Tessa could be in the super junior tournament. Tessa, you said? Yeah. She's not signed anywhere. (laughs) Uh, People, people want, they want women in New Japan. Let's bring in Tessa Blanchard. Well, hey, she has a strong mind. Bring a strong mind on strong. She's got the strongest mind of anyone she's ever known. Yeah. <laughs> I got a strong mind. <laughs> Her and Daga could both be in the tournament together. Oh, man. Get a little intergender action going on. Yeah. Uh, next question here from Kevin from DC. He says, are you, are you surprised that there wasn't any televised Japan events between August 9th and the 26th. I know we're still getting the strong events, but I was getting spoiled for four events in a row to have to wait 17 days between live shows. I would like it one or the other. I don't, I don't, I don't want four, four days of shows and I don't want several weeks without shows. Can't we just space the shit out? (laughs) (laughs) Can't we just have a steady stream of shows with space in between it so we can live our lives harmoniously? Come on. 
Um, no, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, they gave us four shows back to back to back. So, yeah, I mean, even you know, pre-COVID, we would see this with the New Japan schedule. There'd be some weeks where, yeah, it's like, bam, 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 like four shows in a row, and then there'd be like no shows the next week, and then one show the next week, and then a bunch of shows the following week. So it's just the way they're touring. I know the touring is definitely all kind of jacked up with COVID and all the stuff right now. So it's just the way that the chips fell for this tournament or for this tour. Yep. But um, speaking of spoiling, we want to spoil you guys with our deal, with our partnership here at Manscaped. We want you guys to get the Lawnmower 3.0 and all the great products from Manscaped.com. You know, Lawnmower 3.0, the Manscaped team, they spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. I think it's third generation, young boy. Yeah, uh, it's incredible. Yeah, so third generation, cutting edge ceramic blades to reduce manscaping accidents. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. This razor is premium. Battery lasts up to 90 minutes, so you can have a longer shave. So if you have a beard and you, you want to use a lawnmower 3.0 on the beard, you want to be like Tama Tonga and shave it off. The battery will last a long time. It's water-resistant, LED light, 7,000 RPM, quiet stroke technology, so if you're listening to us speak right now, we want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. And like we mentioned at the top of the show, the first five people who purchase something from Manscaped and use our code SUPLEX and email us proof of purchase to socialsuplex at gmail.com will get all out ordered for them courtesy of the Social Suplex Podcast Network. And like I mentioned, you don't have to order just a lot more 3.0. It could be any of their products. Let me break it down for you. The Lawnmower 3.0, no bullshitting you. It is the best grooming trimmer that I have ever used in my life. And so you can get that, but not only can you get that, you also get 20% off the cost of it, plus you get free shipping, plus if you're one of those first five and you want to act quickly. I'm sure some of you are early birds who are listening to this show as soon as we drop it. And you're hearing this now, and I'm telling you, like, literally, don't – you still want to finish the show, but, like, pause the show now, go place your order, send us the code so we can hook you up with All Out. And, I mean, the math doesn't lie. This is, like, Scott Steiner-level math. Here, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is because a steal here. It's a deal because you're getting the 20% off and the free shipping but then we're paying for a $60 pay-per-view for you, which literally is going to cover probably the cost of whatever it was that you bought, which it should be the Lawnmower 3.0. But whatever it is you buy, it's going to get covered. So you're like almost making money here. Do you need to watch it all out? Most likely. Do you also need to trim and groom and take care of yourself down under? Most likely. So do it with our deal and help yourself out. That's right. So manscaped.com, use the code SUPLEX. That's manscaped.com and use our promo code SUPLEX. So now we got to talk about the summer struggle shows that are coming up on August 26th and August 27th. So on August 26th is when we will have the KOPW tournament. Before we get to those matches, we do have a couple other matches on the card. So the 26th show is going to open up with Gabriel Kidd, Yotosuji, and Yuyamura taking on the chaos team of Hiroki Goto, Tomohiro Ishii, and Yoshihashi. So I think there will... Which, 
happen to be the six-man tag team champions as well. Yeah, that's right. The new uh, never six-man champ, so they're getting a little test here against these uh, young lions here. I'm sure we're going to see some of that story what, continuing. What a test. <laughs> get, get the story continuing with Kid, Suji, and Yamura not being able to work together. Yeah, man. Um, I'm just telling you right now, Gabriel Kid's going to roll up uh, Tomohiro Ishii, and we're going to get our first uh, contenders for these titles right here. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's happening, young boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's a nice little opener. The second match of the night, we got the Golden Aces teaming up with uh, Tenzan and Master Wato to take on the Suzuki Goon team of Doki, Taichi, Kanemaru, and Zack Saber Jr. Yep, should be a fun little match up here. Also, we're previewing the, the tag title match here: Golden Aces, Dangerous Techers, and also a preview of Wato versus Kanemaru. But I think. The majority of the night is going to be taken up and be dominated with most people's attention on the final four matches, which are the King of Pro Wrestling title tournament first round matches. Yep. So there was a press conference this morning on NJPW World where all the uh, participants were there and announcing their stipulations. The voting is live on for the Westerners on NJPW Global's Twitter account and then on the uh, Japanese uh, New Japan account they have the the voting for those in uh, in Japan. So we had all the wrestlers making their stipulations, making the matches final. So the first match up here we have uh, my boy Satoshi Kojima taking on El Desperado, and uh, Kojima's stipulation was uh, finisher only. So only the lariat and the pinche loco could be used to win the matchup. And Desperado's uh, stipulation is no finisher match, meaning. If the Lariat or the Pinche Loco is used, it would cause a disqualification. Uh, there's so much I don't like about this. <laughs> I don't like the idea of a quote-unquote finisher-only match because think about it. What if some shit actually happens that's not from the finisher that does end the match and then you have to end the match? I'm not hoping for that sort of situation, but think about it. Okay? Um someone gets choked unconscious and then they're out and then the person has them in a sleeper. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the ref does the three arms gimmick and they're still out, but the ref doesn't stop it because they, they can't win with that move. Now you would say, sure, they probably should just let go and hit their finisher at that point. But what if they choose not to, what if they're sadistic and what if they continue to hold on to it, continuing to cut off the blood to their brain? <laughs> They could literally murder the person and then hit him with the pinche loco or whatever and then, I guess, win the match. But, like, that shit doesn't make sense. Or, like, what if they have a Sid-style accident and break their leg, right? But it's a finisher-only match. Or, like, what if they – I mean, these rules don't make sense. Are there still count-outs? Are there still DQs? Like, could you still – could you get counted out or DQ'd in a finisher-only match? I don't think so. I think you can. I think you can only win. win. That's right, yeah. That's why I don't like this style of match. Like, I don't like when they're like, you can only win with your finisher. I also don't like when they say you can not win with your finisher. These are two of my absolute most detested, like, uh, stipulations. And again, I'm going to point out the fact that these are just very minor derivatives of a standard style match to begin with. Right, and it's kind of like I was saying a few weeks ago when I predicted I, I felt like for Cork and Hall shows, 
when we see KLPW, it's going to be these kind of matches that are just derivatives of a regular match. And then when we get to a power struggle or king of pro wrestling, that's when you're going to have a cage, a ladder, or eye for an eye, nah. whatever it's going to be. They need to just not do it. If they're not going to do it, don't do it. Yeah. They're not doing it. This is bullshit. <laughs> also, it doesn't make sense because Desperado was the one who was like pointing out how their finisher – like it seemed like he was the one who was going to go finishers only. Right. But then it but then it flipped on his head. Like when, he, when did he change his mind? Like, Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, that was all kind of jacked up there. Here's what happened. Kojima is like, well, finishers only is a better rule and that's going to win. I want that to be my stipulation. <laughs> <laughs> and then Despy's like, all right, well, then I'll, I'll do the no finisher. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking at, at NJPW Global on Twitter right now, and uh, Desperado stipulation, no finisher match, is winning right now 64% of the poll to, 30, to 36% of finisher only. Bro, when I voted this morning with our official Twitter account before you got a chance to use it, <laughs> I voted for Kojima, and we were winning. Well, the the polls have shifted. Um, there, there's still five hour or excuse me, five days left to uh, vote in the polls. So, go out there and rock the vote. <laughs> vote or die. Smack down your vote. <laughs> Smack down your vote. <laughs> oh man. Oh, man. Uh, earlier today, someone's like, y'all vote yet? And Jeremy's like, I voted in the KOPW tournament. No, no, what happened was, uh, Zach, Zach was like, did y'all vote? Or And uh, Rich was like, oh, I requested my ballot. And then Zach was like, nah, I meant KOPW. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I voted. Um, All right, so let's move on. Uh, or do you want to talk about this match? I mean, we haven't even talked. I, I, I mean... Desperado and Kojima are two really good workers. I, I think it should be a good match. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. As of right now. The, win- the winner of this takes on Toriyano and Bushi, right? No, the winner goes. Is, the winners go to a four-way at Jingu. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. What am I even saying? My bad. Uh, so who do you think's going to win here? It doesn't matter. Uh like, you could go either way. Like, Kojima's the more established guy. He's the veteran. He's the heavyweight. He's got a lot in his favor. But they've been making an effort to kind of utilize Desperado in these times. So I wouldn't be completely surprised if he did win. But I, I'll still go Kojima. Even though, I mean, Despy, it's like a it's a 49-51 split. Like, I'm not that confident about either one. Yeah, uh, you know, I got I got to back up my boy. I got to back up the strongest arm. I got to go with Kojima here, uh, getting into the four way. If Kojima wrestled Tessa Blanchard, it would be strongest mind versus strongest arm. <laughs> uh, they could do it on strong. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that right. almost sounds like 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 a uh, freaking. Never mind. I want to say it. <laughs> So let's uh, move on to the next KOPW match here. Like that, like the way you said it, sound like like a little win, like lyric, like we could do it on strong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, next up, we have Toriano versus Bushi, and uh, stipulations here. So Yano's stipulation is two count pinfall match, while Bushi's stipulation is five count ring out match. Yeah, I didn't understand that. What is the five count ring out? 
So instead of 20 seconds on the outside, they only have five. Okay, that makes sense. For some reason, I was thinking they had to score a pinfall for five seconds, and then after that, they could potentially get a ring out, which didn't make none of that made sense to me. That this makes much more sense. Um, I voted. I voted for the two second pinfall match. I also voted for the two second pinfall match. Although I think if I would have understood the rules better, I might have. I like some of these Toriano countouts this past year. The one with Bushi, the one with Romu. I might have gone for the five-second countout. I liked the match with him and uh, Moxley where he tied up Moxley to his young boy last year. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, this match doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those. I went with the two-count pinfalls because I feel like it would, it would make the match a little bit, you know, a fast pace and, you know, the near falls, you know, also you can only kick out at one. So it'd, it'd be an interesting take, but... Again, like I said, it is what it is. Right now, uh, the two-count uh, match is winning 59% of the poll. Uh, Toriano Stip is winning. Bushi has 41%. I, I could do, like, some deep diving into it and be like, you know, Toriano is going to try to, like, you know. I guess there is some nuance to it because both these guys rolled each other up and got three counts. But then also Bushi got, you know, counted out. So the rules do kind of – I will say this. The rules for this match, the stipulations actually play into the little rivalry that they've had going. Right. So I'll commend them on that. But it's Yano and Bushi, so I don't really care <laughs> because neither one of those two prospects has a long-term like future, you know. Right. Even if like let's say let's say Toriano, let's say this whole thing's super wacky DDT style, and Yano gets through and then wins it, he's still just going to be the provisional champion. Right. <laughs> All that really matters is who wins it at the end of the shit. So why do I care about any of this? Yeah. <laughs> so who who you got winning here? I don't know. Yano? Fuck it. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to go traditional New Japan style. Kojima's a heavyweight. Yano's a heavyweight. Let's fucking run it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going Yano as well here. Uh, so next KOPW match, we have Sonata versus Sho. And which is it's just going to be a submission match because we know show brought the submission stipulation and Sonata was like, I want no pinfalls. Yeah, that makes I'm I'm thinking a lot about this. They they told us that this entire like tournament idea was like Okada's idea. Right. Cool. When they booked it out, like with Gato, did he like literally just be like, all right, that's what we're going to do. Y'all are going to really come up with your own stipulations. <laughs> <laughs> and then Sonata was like, well, I want to do submission only match. That's where our story has been leading to. And shows like me too. And he's like, you guys do whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this is Okada shit. Anyways, it doesn't matter. He's winning anyways. Right. Like that's what it feels like. This is lazy as fuck. Like Sonata and show both want submission match. You know, technically no one ever said, that they couldn't both propose the same rules. Right. It's a loophole. But, the, but then what is the point of the voting? Don't you think a good booker would have like been like, you're going to come up with this and you're going to come up with this. And just like in a regular match where you'd be like, you two are going to be in a no DQ match. They don't get to say yes or no. You know? Right. I, I feel like with the story, Sonata should have been like, well, pinfalls only. 
because so, you know Shell's been working on submissions, so it, they were taking away that tool that Shell's been working on, and also well, it takes away his skull and also, but he still has the TKO and the moon salt. But ultimately, I don't want to spend any more time even <laughs> discussing it because I think this whole concept is so sh- like that shitty that it doesn't matter. Um, the only interesting thing about this match to me is Sonata and Show had a match during King of Pro Wrestling, which was semi good. I thought sh- it was a good perform, a really good performance. I mean the uh, New Japan Cup. My bad, New Japan Cup. What did I say? King of Pro Wrestling. Oh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's kind of the return match, and show has been gunning for Sonata since that match occurred and he suffered that loss. So maybe show gets the upset here, but um, nothing about this really enticing to me at all. Yeah, I'm going to go with Sonata here. I just feel like with this, you know, the four-way being on Jingu, I think you, you need something. You need Sonata in somewhat of a big match, so I think it makes more sense for Sonata just to end up winning here. I'm going to go with Sonata because I don't think Sho should be submitting a Sonata. But I will say this. I think it's highly unlikely that Desperado Bushi and Sho all actually lose. Mm. I'm kind of just like playing the safe card and just assuming it's all going to be heavyweights. Right. But I know realistically, especially right now where like weight classes kind of don't matter that much because of COVID, probably going to put over at least one of those guys. I feel like Desperado or Bushi are – actually, any three of them could happen. But um, I don't think – realistically, I don't think all three of those guys are actually losing. Yeah, I'm sure one junior will, will get in. But I'm still going Sonata and Yano and Kojima because I'm not going to be the dumb guy that didn't – you know, <laughs> put my bets on the heavyweights because this company is a heavyweight company. You feel me? Right. Um, also, none of these people are beating Sonata or beating Okada. So what does it matter? <laughs> <laughs> they should have. They should have just pulled the Eric Bish off and just handed the belt. To Bro, Oka. hand the fucking belt him. It's his idea. Been like, all right, you want to do it? Here you go. <laughs> like, what the? F-? All right. Anyways. So the last KOPW match we have is Yujiro Takahashi versus Kazuchika Okada, and we oh. we talked about it last week. Okada stipulation the one on three handicap match, so it would be Okada versus Yujiro, Jado, and Gato. And um, Yujiro stipulation is a lumberjack match where the lumberjacks would have leather belts and whip the opponents on the outside. Yujiro's lumberjacks would be Gato and Jado, and Okada's lumberjacks would be Toriyano and Yoshihashi. No, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to see either of those matches. What the fuck? No. I kind of want Yujiro to win because Okada came up with this stupid bullshit. But, like, I know if if Yujiro wins, then Okada is only going to come back with a vengeance later on to win the lineal no-belt provisional title. So, yeah, I don't really care. Obviously, like, I voted for the uh, Lumberjack match because I don't want to see a, you know, a three-on-one. But at the same time, like, it's kind of still the same thing. If Like, we're going to see Okada on the outside selling for long periods of time while Gato and Jado whip him with leather. Sounds like someone's, like, fan fiction or some shit. <laughs> like, it, it's not cool. I... I, I Bro, this this tournament can go get fucked. I hate this tournament. I hate this tournament so much. And I think a lot of people who are like, give it a chance and let's see how it goes. 
now that this has come out, like look at it on paper. You cannot is this the new Japan that you guys fell in love with that you that you like go to bat for that you're diehard for? Is this the same new Japan that you guys like? I hate this. Yeah, this is yeah, not looking good at all. Um, you know, I, I think the four way might end up being a, a good match depending on who gets in there, but maybe, but, but four ways kind of suck too. You know, he had the right guys in there. It could be good, but I I'm not a I don't like triple threats or four ways personally. Like the the last time I liked a four way was like that icy four way with like Cesaro and Miz and those guys mm-hmm. that were in it. I don't remember which one. It, you know which one I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, but like I don't really like him in general. Yeah. So yeah, this is not going to be. And then when they win, what do they win? What the four way? Yeah, what do they win? They they win the provisional KOPW. <laughs> yeah, the lineal provisional KOPW title that doesn't have a belt. That's not a real title. And then they get to defend it for the rest of the year. That's this sucks. <laughs> you know what this kind of reminds me of is um, the uh, the championship scramble matches that did like 06. Were yeah, like, bro. It was like Spanky, what? Spanky's a former champion. He's a, a, a provisional WWE champion. Yes, it's exactly what this is like. Spanky, the former provisional <laughs> WWE champion. When what culture or like uh, some of those groups do like the, the greatest, you know, WWE champion list of all time, they got to include Spanky. If they don't include Spanky, then it's not real. <laughs> yeah, but those uh, like, like 20 minute matches where like you get a pinfall and then you're like the provisional champion and somebody can pin you, then they're the champion. And then. Yeah, except this isn't a 20 minute match. It's a. Um, it's an ongoing. It, it's a five month match. <laughs> it goes till January. Yeah. Sucks. Yeah. Well, uh, let's move on to uh, August twenty seventh here. So. Also, uh, well, no, I want to talk about one last thing. Yeah. Is anybody but Okada winning this thing? Because I mean, is there any four way? What four way sounds exciting to you? Because I'm like, let's just assume Okada's going through. Does Sonata, Kojima, and Yano sound enticing to you? Who the fuck came up with the contenders and the brackets for this thing? You know what I mean? Right. This doesn't sound good. The only reason we're doing this is because they don't want to put the IWGB title on uh, Okada. And I didn't always think that, but now that I see this on paper, that's got to be the only reason why they actually did this. This is a fucking vanity project. Yeah, I just feel like, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, all right, we're not going with Okada for right now, so we got to do something with him. And Dude, Okada, you're, like, one of the greatest wrestlers of your generation. Be a man, just like other great wrestlers before you, and figure out something actually compelling to do when it's not your turn. Everyone else was able to do it. Brian can figure it out. Flair can figure it out. Mizawa can figure it out. You you could have done something better than this. This sucks. Yeah, not a fan of the, the KOPW. Tanahashi figures that shit out when he doesn't have the IW, IWGB title. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> this sucks. Uh, so let's move on to uh, Summer Struggle, August 27th here. So once again, we'll have some young lines opening up. we got Suji and Yamura teaming up to take on Tenzan and Kojima. Then we've got Gabriel Kidd, Hanma, and Yuji Nagata versus Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi. Never six-man champs. 
Then we got Okada, Show and Toriyano against Gato, Jado, and Yujiro Takahashi. Suzuki Goon of Doki, Desperado, and Suzuki versus LIJ, Bushi, Sonata, and Chingo. Then the semi main, we got Golden Aces and Master Wato against Taichi, Kanamaru, and Saber. And then the main event will be Evil and Taiji Ishimori versus Hiromu Takahashi and Tetsuya Naito. I don't have a lot of thoughts here. The one thing I will say is it's interesting that the tournament matches take place on the 26th. And then we have a, a multiple tag team matches on the 27th. But that's because the Jingu Stadium show is, what, the 28th? The, 20, the 29th. Okay. So I think on the 27th, before you write this show off, be prepared that this is almost like a go-home show, similar to like what you'd see with like WWE, even though they're not that good at it anymore. <laughs> there will probably be a lot of angles and heated segments that lead into the next night. Now, if there's not, then New Japan's not doing it right. But given their track record and history, they're probably going to have really good angles and really good heated segments that lead and build to the next night or, you know, to the, the big show in, at Jingu Stadium for sure. Right. I, I can already picture like, a, you know, Shingo and Suzuki brawling post-match kind yep. of stuff. And so, yeah, I'm sure we'll see a lot of kind of that kind of stuff and some angles and some promos maybe. <sighs> One last thing. I'm not at all intrigued to see evil and Ishimori against Takahashi and Naito. Like, I'm like, that shouldn't even main event. (laughs) (laughs) They should main event with Suzuki Goon versus LIJ. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We know the big preview match here for the junior title, double titles. So it should should be fun. Should be kind of. Kind of. I'm not even like recognizing this time period. Yeah, should should be a fun show. So uh, moving on, we just got uh, two quick news items here. So um, the New Japan crew was in Iwo Jima for a sold out house show, uh, thirty capacity, thirty percent capacity uses. Um, a lot of fans were already in the building, and one of the wrestlers felt ill backstage and had a fever. And because of the risk involved regarding spread to both the wrestlers and perhaps the audience, the decision based on the company's guidelines was to cancel the show. And send everyone home with refunds. Um, the wrestler was removed from the arena, and two staff members drove him to Tokyo with them, uh, putting up a plastic sheet in the car where he was taken to be uh, to taken to a COVID testing facility for a series of tests, and uh, those tests came back negative. And um, so they were able to continue on with the house show loop, but that one had to get canceled. So, um, and we've kind of been seeing situations like this in other promotions in Japan where wrestlers either get a fever or think they have COVID and shows have to be canceled. But um, luckily, this wrestler had negative tests and they were able to uh, continue on with the shows. Uh, then also, uh, one last news item here, the free match of the week is uh, the best of the Super Juniors titles match with uh, Taiji Ishimori versus Hiromu Takahashi. Obviously, this, uh, they put this out free to uh, preview the Taiji Ishimori and Hiromu match coming up at Chingu. Uh, if you have not seen this match yet, you should definitely go out of your way to watch it. This is one of the best matches of 2018, one of the best junior matches of 2018, one of the best junior matches in the company's history of junior matches. So definitely go ahead and check that out. And you know, hopefully what we saw in 2018, we will see some of that again coming up at Jingu. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, so we have some questions here that we're going to do, and then we'll go to the recommended match of the week and uh, wrap things up here. 
So this was a question that we uh, we bumped from last week. Uh, this is from Mr. ACP. Um, he said, let's assume the roster in Japan currently is all that's available to fill out the 2020 G1. I don't think that'll actually be the case, but we'll pretend. What's the best 20-man tournament you guys can come up with while still being realistic so you can't leave evil off in favor for Doki? Uh, bonus points if you designate who goes to which block. Oh, man. Um... <laughs> I just want to say there's no universe where either myself or Jeremy would leave evil out of a G1. We're, if nothing else, at least fair. <laughs> right. I mean, he's that been, man's in the G1 every year. Right. And last year he got like eight or 10 points. So, I mean, him being at top of the block is nothing new and being in G1 is nothing new. And I, as much as I'm starting to, you know, be won over by Doki, I would not throw Doki into the G1. Okay, um, so I mean, do you want to do this conjointly? Because I didn't like prepare something, or did you already prepare something? So I did prepare something, and I have my blocks split out. Oh my! All right, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, here's my A block. I have Switchblade J White, Shingo Takagi, Evil, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Sonata, Zack Saber Jr., Tetsuya Naito. Yujiro Takahashi, Will Ospreay, and Toriyano. That's my A block. Then uh, moving on to my B block, I have Kazuchika Okada, Kota Ibushi, Minoru Suzuki, Hiroki Goto, Taichi, Satoshi Kojima, Yoshihashi, Hiromu Takahashi, Bad Luck Fale, and Cho. Okay. Uh, I mean, I didn't hear any names there that I necessarily disagreed with. Um... Did you have Ujiro in there? I did. I haven't had him in the A block. Ooh. Far away from Okada. I made sure they were in separate blocks. Were there any junior names that you could have possibly put in there instead? Or no? Instead of Ujiro? Yeah. Uh, see, I mean, I put Hiromu and Sho already in there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, juniors that could definitely go in this year. I think Sho and um, Hiromu are for sure. But I think that there's a good chance that um, Desperado will be in this. Yeah, you could you could throw Desperado in. Do you not have Desperado in your tournament? I do not. Uh, I'm a little surprised by that because I think he's I think he's a lock. Really? I mean, I could be wrong here, but I mean they they really seem to be pushing him. Like they're giving him this match with Kojima. They gave him the match with a. Uh, Shingo. What's his face? With Shingo, um, the big match with Ishii. It just seems like they're really utilizing him as like a uh, utility player while the um, weight classes are kind of mismatched. Like I, I'm not saying it's a for sure lock, but I mean I feel more strongly that he will be in the G1 than not personally. Gotcha. Like, like I don't think he's a lock. I mean, it could happen. I would not be surprised if he does end up. Coming in, but I guess who else do you take? Do you, you take Yujiro out, a guy who's been feuding with Okada, even though it's been horrible, but he's still been feuding with, with the ace. It's true, but he hasn't. I mean, I don't know. Like, Yujiro, I don't feel super strong that he will be in it necessarily. Uh, I That's one of the things with this G1. You, you probably will get guys like that because of the limited roster. So you'll see certain guys like, say, a Suzuki who wasn't in last year and things, you know different people but um 
Ujiro's a tough one, man. Like, I don't know. I don't know. So, I mean, uh, so you've got Saber, you got Ujiro, you got Nagata, you got Yoshihashi. Oh, well, Nagata's retired from G1, so I did not put Nagata in. Oh, gotcha. Okay, that I, makes I put, sense. I put Kojima in. Yeah, it could be. Okay. Uh, you Did you mention Will Ospreay sound like? Yes, I have Ospreay in my A block. Yano? Yep. Okay, and then Ishii. No Hanma, right? Oh, my gosh. You know what? I think I left off Ishii. You left Ishii out of your block? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I totally did not put in Tomohiro Ishii. What about Hanma? I did not put Hanma in. Makabe? Uh, Well, Makabe is going to be off uh, filming his movie. Okay. Any chance Toa Hanare returns? That is a possibility. Yeah, I didn't think about him. Um, I think G.O.D. is a no-go, but you've got Naito and Taichi, right? Yep. Shingo, Satoshi Kojima, Sonata, Minoru Suzuki, uh, Ibushi. Obviously, Kenta is probably not there. Right. Um, Yeah, I'm just looking over the names that are here. And you think Jay White might make it back in time? I think he might, yeah. Okay, and then you got Goto Evil. Yeah, I mean, they've got – this roster is deep enough to, like, still do a G1. I know, like, at first when I saw the 10-man blocks, that didn't seem super feasible. But with them kind of doing one night each, you know, not having to work the undercards and everything like that, plus if they need to throw a Bushi or a Desperado or a Hiromu in there from the juniors, they could easily do that. and They could even, if they need to, throw into Gucci. Right. I'm not advocating for all of those things, but I'm just saying that's how deep this roster is. Like, the one thing I know for a fact, they're not going to include any outsiders here. Right. It's going to be all main New Japan guys. So I, I think your your uh, everything that you mentioned sounded great. I just noticed Ishii and Desperado kind of being notable. Yeah, I can't believe I left Ishii out. So I'm going to bump show and uh, put Ishii in my B block. Show. I think show. I think show's going to be in it. I think that these guys who are juniors, who um, you know, kind of like stuck around and like you know, did what they could during this time, they're going to get rewarded. Yeah, well, I think the, the questionable names that I have obviously are Jay White, uh, Osprey, and Bad Luck Fale are three names we don't know if they're going to be able to get to Japan, be able to quarantine, and kind of. Be ready for this tournament or not? So, not one hundred percent sure if those guys will be back yeah. or not. So, I mean, we'll we'll see about Fale. Right. So, if those guys being out, I mean, definitely show Hirobu Desperado would be three guys that could take their spots. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next question, a very interesting one here on on the Reddit from Reddit user AEZJ. He says, "Who do you think has the largest cock on the roster?" <laughs> what? What kind of question is that? <laughs> I don't know, but it, it was on the thread. So I had to throw it out there. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't know. Jeremy, who do you think has the biggest penis? I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really. I, I would just say, based, based off of the kind of energy that they carry with them, I would just say probably Shingo Takagi. Yeah, I, I I would say uh, Shingo or uh, Ishii. 
Yeah, they just carry big dick energy with them, right? Yeah, there's a reason why they call him the Stone Pitbull. All right, so uh, moving on here. Uh, Reddit user Grunty Dodds. He says, I'm worried that for once you guys won't be able to do a three-hour show with only strong to review. Here's a nice nice lengthy question to fill some time. Oh, geez. (laughs) A lot of very smart people are saying that the coronavirus is tied to the retirement of Jushin Thunder Liger on January 6th of this year. I didn't believe Hold on, before he continues, Jeremy, I think you've said this exact thing in the group messenger thread before, right? What, the Liger Corona thing? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He says, I didn't believe it at first, but then I did my own research. The first case of COVID can be traced back to November 17th, 2019. On the 16th, Liger was in a tag match against none other than Dick Togo. (laughs) Togo is best remembered for being in kind tie in the WWF. The group is most remembered for trying trying to cut off Valvius's genitals. What they didn't want you to know is that kind tie was named after the first modern Japanese corporation. Asian corporate interests trying to castrate America sounds oh my god <laughs> sounds pretty familiar, <laughs> don't you think? It wasn't clear enough already. Dick Togo showed up out of nowhere in New Japan Pro Wrestling on July twelfth. That's 237 days after the first case of COVID-19. 23 minus 7 equals 16. Remember, he had that tag match against Liger on the 16th. The 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 last day before COVID, Dick came to NJPW to help a guy named Evil cheat to win the title. What was he wearing at the time? A mask. What was his weapon of choice? A garrote. A Middle Eastern tool that restricts breathing. Oh my god. <laughs> now he's walking around next to evil wearing all white, just like a doctor. Dick Togo created COVID 19. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> he says, My question is this when Chris Jericho. Well, <laughs> it wasn't even a question. <laughs> it was no question at all. It was literally the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. Well, the question part is, he says, when Chris Jericho inevitably, inevitably brings me on his podcast to talk about this, do you want me to give your show a plug? Yes, 100% yes. Um, <laughs> try to get a drop from Chris Jericho if you could. <laughs> yes, yeah, plug that thing big time. Oh, my God. He literally <laughs> sounds like one of those conspiracy theorists on Jericho's podcast, like uh, – in our, in our group threads, we've talked about, like, people be like, yeah, I like Jericho when he has wrestlers on, but not when he has, like, rock stars and stuff. And then I'd be like, I like when he has the conspiracy theorists <laughs> on. Because <laughs> they say the crazy – there's this one episode where they talk about the Mandela effect, and it's the most absurd, like, episode you've ever heard. Uh, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, I usually stick to the uh, the wrestling the wrestler only interviews on Jericho. It was embarrassing when he had those two uh, conspiracy theorists, the, uh, the the anti-Satan, satanic government guys that he always has on. And like when COVID first started, they came on and were like, it's all a work. It's not real. They like said a bunch of shit. And then like a few days later, shit got too real. And he had to like bring on a real doctor and like <laughs> make up for it. Right. Oh, man. Oh, man. Next question here from Reddit user Darth Caligula. I think I'm saying that right. 
Uh, Darth Caligula? Yeah. Uh, question is, why is Evil turning his back on Naito and beating him for the IWGP title? The best thing that's happened with the title since Omega's. Oh, shit. Is this like a troll? Uh, I, I don't know if they're serious or they just want us to go on an Evil Sucks rant or what, what the deal is here. Well, all right. I'll just take a very balanced approach. It's not the best thing that's happened since Omega held the title. Um, I, well, let's think about it for a second. Let's let's really thoughtfully break this down. So Omega dropped the title to who? To Tanahashi. Tanahashi. Tanahashi dropped the title to Jay White. Mm-hmm. Jay White dropped the title to Okada, and then Okada lost the title to Naito. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of stuff there. Um, I'll just say it like this, and these are just matter-of-fact things. Tanahashi coming back after all those years and beating the great Kenny Omega in the Dome when no one thought he was going to win at the, that old age and getting one last run with the belt, that was better than Evil. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> um Jay White being the fucking dick, like, dastardly-ass heel, like, just, um, you know, basically stealing that moment from us all and beating Tanahashi in his first title defense and cutting, like, some of the best promos about how he's the best in the world. That was better than evil. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Turning on Naito. Um, That moment in Madison Square Garden where... Okada got the title back, you know, from the Bullet Club and from Jay White, and he did it on American soil in front of, like, the, you know, one of the biggest, you know, non-WWE houses on American soil ever. That was better than... <laughs> <laughs> and these are objective things. Like, this is not just my opinion. Like, this is for real. Um, even, like, the post-G1 feud with Suzuki... And then the copper box match between Suzuki and Okada was better than what's going on with Evil Naito. Yep. And even though the double gold dash had some issues for sure, that moment at the end of the year or at the beginning of the year where Naito finally like fulfilled his destiny and like beat Okada on the grand stage and had like maybe one of the hottest all time New Japan like fan moments ever, like as far as a crowd reaction. That was definitely better than Evil <laughs> turning right. on Okada or turning on Naito. So, and also you I, know, the day before, where Okada versus Ibushi, where it's probably the the match of the year right now. That's the match of the year. So, I mean, I think you could almost definitively say that everything that's happened between Omega losing the title and Evil winning the title was better. Absolutely, like all of it. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, I think you have to literally go all the way back to like the beginning of the last decade for to start to say that it was not as good. Yeah, I mean, since I've maybe been, even further. I mean, since I've been watching, I, I feel like up until now, IWGP title picture has been great. So I'm not gonna rant, but uh, <laughs> just, I just want to point those out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, their, their other question was Do you think the G1 will be completed Due to COVID and will we see Some foreigners in the tournament I think uh, There's a high likelihood that At least Jay White And 
will Osprey will make it back in time for G1? I think they're high priorities anyways for that to happen. Um, but I don't know of any other Gaijin that might be there. I also think that there's a good chance, given the track record of what's been going on in Japan, that things outside of their control could definitely like cancel shows or knock things off schedule, which would be horrible. And I think they need to have contingency plans in place for if that happens. What happens if night 12 of their 19 night tournament gets canceled? Right. Yeah. There definitely needs to have some kind of plan. Maybe they, they will have a plan. Cause we've seen this not only with new Japan, uh, we saw with stardom. They're in the middle of their G one, the grand prix, and they had to cancel one of their nights due to um, a COVID related situation. And so, how are they handling it? Um, so I'm not 100 percent sure. I'll have to double check with uh, Dr. Joshi James and see uh, kind of what the deal is. But I'm sure they're probably trying to find a way to make that date up, maybe. But yeah, I mean, we've seen times where people have been knocked out of tournaments or had to drop out for short periods of time, and they've had to book on the fly, and that always really changes things. But we've never seen what happens when an entire G1 event gets canceled and you know, what if what if that night was one of the more important nights because it literally would have made the difference in the uh, booking as far as the point total? So, how do you how do you rectify that? You know, right? They've got very very short period of time to like get this all done. I don't know. I guess the only thing I can think of right now. So right now, the like we talked about last week, they're only they're doing A block only and B block onlys until they get to the finals. <laughs> you could, uh, if you had to, double up and do an A block B block night. Towards the end, maybe. I mean, who knows if they can do that? We don't right, even know. Right. So yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. I'm gonna be hoping that uh, it all goes without a, you know a hitch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next question here from Reddit user Hawaiian Punch BV. Since you guys are big fans of GCW Bloodsport, how do you feel watching it every Monday night? How would you book it to make it more enjoyable? <laughs> Well, we, we record the show every Monday night, <laughs> so I don't get to see it. But um, I did see some of some of the what's it? It's not the fight pit. What's it called? Raw Underground. Yeah, we saw some of Raw Underground last week. I didn't understand it. Like, I mean, I, I don't know. They can make it more enjoyable, but actually doing it like GCW Bloodsport, treating it seriously, making it a serious sports based presentation putting guys in there that know how to work a shoot style matchup. I'm not too worried about it. It's just one of those things that's going to fizzle out, honestly. Yeah. It's just one of these things that they're trying to spike ratings for a week or two, and then it's going to fizzle out just like every other idea they do. I think they should bring back the, uh, brawl for all champion, Bart Gunn, and have him fight in the underground. <laughs> see how that goes. <laughs> Bart Gunn versus uh Baba Tunde. Yeah. Uh, next question here from Reddit user Rambo and Slam Pig. I am looking forward to Shingo versus Suzuki the most at the upcoming stadium show. Do you guys think the title is changing hands, or will Shingo move on to more challengers and continue his unexpectedly long never run? It it's fine either way, honestly. Like that's one where it does matter who wins, and it will change things a lot. But either prospect is fine. I mean you get the belt off Shingo and he's kind of freed up for 
come G1 season to kind of do other things. Um, but at the same time, we've seen uh, Suzuki have lengthy, you know, never title runs in the past. So I don't know if they necessarily need to do that. Um, if if they were looking to beat Shingo as someone that was credible, that wouldn't hurt him too bad. I mean, you couldn't really ask for a better guy than Suzuki. So, I mean, um, I'm 50-50 on that one. I really don't know who, who they're going to go with either. Yeah, it can go either way. And we'll make our final predictions on next week's show when we preview and do predictions for the whole Jingu show. But, yeah, like you mentioned, it, it literally can go either way. Because Suzuki's a guy you can slot in that never uh, tile shot, and if you want to move Shingo to something on different, or you can just have Shingo continue to run with the belt and have a great long run. So we'll see what they do. Uh, next question here from Red User Viking Pain on a scale of one to ten, rate Cowboy Tanahashi and Speedo Tanahashi, and who between the two wins at the Tokyo Dome? So I saw Speedo Tanahashi. I did not see. Cowboy Tanahashi, so I'm not really sure what they're talking about. Yeah, so there's a picture. If you go to the uh, his Reddit uh, comment on our discussion thread there, he linked a, a picture to Ace Cowboy Tanahashi. Okay. Um, I mean, I'll always go Speedo Tanahashi, period. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough choice. I mean, it's... Two Tanahashis, I mean, what a world to live in. Uh, you know what, screw it. I'll, I'll go uh, Speedo Tanahashi, the man getting ripped, yes. getting ripped, getting huge, vascular. He's huge. <laughs> Look at him. Look at him. Um, well, if, if Tanahashi came to WWE and Vince had to give him like a nickname, what would he call him? He's the specimen. <laughs> Just look at him. Look at those veins. Uh, yeah, so who, who would win in the, uh, a match between Speedo Tanahashi and Cowboy Tanahashi? Probably Cowboy Tanahashi because I'm just assuming that he's got like a, you know, Southern style kind of like brawler background. Whereas Speedo Tanahashi kind of reminds me of like Naked Midian or like Meat from WWE. Like. <laughs> Just, he doesn't have enough clothes on to like really form any sort of like effective offense. So like, I'm sure Cowboy Tanahashi is gonna hit him with like a Western lariat and fuck him up. Mm. Come out, maybe here. like the claw. Maybe brand him. Do the claw. Yeah, hit him with a uh, Von Eric. You know, world class claw. Might spit some uh, <laughs> some dip juice on him after he's after the match is over. Like. Cowboy Tanahashi is, gives no fucks like at all. He comes out on a on like a freaking horse to start his matches. <laughs> what some Hangman Page stuff? Yeah, but when the match is over, he uh, hog ties the guys and then drags <laughs> them down the aisles. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, uh, next question here from at Super Mastodon on Twitter. Besides the G One, I've always been looking forward to Best of Super Junior since becoming an active New Japan fan. No news yet if we're getting one, but if we were, who do you guys think is the best pick to win this year? Well, that's an interesting question. I will say this. I don't think we're getting a Super Juniors this year. Yeah, um, it's, it's not looking good right now. Uh, I feel like we would have heard something by now, and it just seems like we're probably not getting one. Um, if I were to guess who was the best bet to win a, a hypothetical one, I would have said Ishimori. But now I wouldn't because of Ishimori's getting booked on the big show against Hiromu. Um, 
you know, in the stadium. So I kind of have to look at like who is a vi- who's someone that they could either draw money with or potentially have lift the title off of Hiromu. And I don't know that there is anyone specifically like that. What but about, I guess what about Show? Have- yeah, I guess you could go like those would be my two answers. Like Show and Desperado are like the two guys that are around that you could do it with. Right, because the hard thing is we wouldn't know if they would we'll, we'll be able to get foreigners in and how the tournament would look like with what they have right now. So, yeah, I think, yeah, Show and Desperado would be the kind of the two best guys. I, personally, I would go with Show. You know, and the thing is, like, you've got Ishimori and him in this big match right now. Um, you know what? I'll, I'll change my pick here. Ishimori wins the belt off of Hiromu now, and then Hiromu wins Super Juniors mm. to set up a Wrestle Kingdom match, a return match. Yeah, they could easily do that. Makes a ton of sense. Good, simple booking. I mean, what else are they going to do between now and then? I don't know. Right. That That's my answer. <laughs> Uh, next question here from Ricky from the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show right here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. It says, outside of the Okada and Omega matches, which match would you recommend to someone who has never watched NJPW? Well, I have actually had to do this in the past. So um, whenever I'm showing someone who is unfamiliar with New Japan, the product, um, and I'm kind of trying to give them like a taste, you know, as to what the product has to offer. I try to pick something that is hard hitting, fast paced, kind of an amalgamation of multiple styles. So the, my two go-to matches are Ricochet versus Will Ospreay from, uh, their first match from the super juniors in 2016. And then, um, the other match would be Kenny Omega versus Kota Ibushi from the G1 Block Finals two years ago. Kota Ibushi versus you said Kenny Omega. What mm. did I say? No, I saw. I didn't hear you. So yeah, I like those those two matches. I think um, are really good entry points into new, like I wouldn't show someone say someone who's not a wrestling fan. I wouldn't show them Nakamura Ibushi. Right. Yeah, I think like. That- that's my personal opinion. That's definitely a qualifier here. Like they've never seen NJPW, but have they watched wrestling in general? If if they've watched wrestling in general, then you can probably go a little bit deeper with them on some stuff. But if it's like yeah. com- completely new fan, never watch wrestling whatsoever, then yeah, I agree. Yeah, Tana, or excuse me, uh, Osprey and Ricochet is definitely one uh, would show. Um, if they are already a wrestling fan, I think I would go. I would show them Osprey and Chingo. Uh, from Best of Super Juniors. Uh, I, I I think the reason I like Ibushi and Omega is because it's the blow-off to a story. It kind of gives someone a taste for what the G1 is sort of like. Mm-hmm. And that match is really wild. It's got huge spots. It's got fast-paced action. It's very dangerous, hard-hitting. It's basically a junior match, but done for the heavyweights almost. Right. Like, um, that's kind of why I like that match in particular. It's not even really my favorite match or anything of that nature, but I just like, uh, I like to show that as sort of like a, I think it's a really good ent- entry level match. 
Yeah, and if they're a wrestling fan, I think also um, Omega vs. Jericho, because I'm sure they would, they would be familiar with Jericho and showing them that Wrestle Kingdom match would be good to show. Yeah, maybe showing them someone that they're familiar with, like a Chris Jericho, that's a, that's not a bad idea at all. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's a good call. Uh, next questions here from the Maple Leaf Wrestling Podcast, History Podcast. Says, uh, do you guys know why Terry Funk never worked for New Japan? Did he have heat with Inoki? I don't think I, I don't know the specifics. That, I don't think it was um, necessarily heat with Inoki. I think it was loyalty to Baba. Um, you know, he was a all Japan guy. He worked for Baba all those years, and then um, this is probably a better question for say like Brett from Bahu FMW World. Um, which shout out to those guys. They do the best uh, FMW coverage out there. But like when he went to go work for Onita, that was kind of, even though it was completely counterculture to all Japan and kind of a competitor, Onita was still one of the sons of Baba, <laughs> you know? So there was kind of that connection there. I think like going to go work for new Japan would have been seen as a complete and total, disrespect to all japan you know um it's not the same thing as going to work for say iwa or wing or fmw but when you go to new japan it's like oh shit like we made terry over here and he went and worked for inoki you know that 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 was a big deal back then so um and who knows maybe there was talk i don't know if there was ever any sort of discussion about him working new japan i've never heard of it i mean he was just always an all japan guy like he was a huge, huge, when I say huge, I mean, like, I think Terry Funk is probably maybe the biggest, most popular gaijin ever in the history of all Japan. Mm. Even more than I would say, I don't, I wouldn't say he's as important in the long term as say Hanson was, but at their heights, nobody was bigger than Terry Funk. Sweet. In Japan. Like, I don't, I don't know if there's ever been a gaijin aside from maybe say, the destroyer that's been as as popular as Terry Funk. Yeah, actually, with the uh, picture of Terry Hunt, Terry Funk recently on Twitter, man's still kicking, man. Yeah, yeah, he's going strong. Uh, his second question was, why was it such a big deal for the British Bulldogs jumping ship from NJPW to AJPW? Um, I mean, it w- they were in the middle of a you know talent war. There was a lot of uh, people jumping at that time. Um, Hanson jumped, Snooka jumped, um, freaking, uh, who is the guy? What I was Brody, Brody jumped. So, I mean, there's a lot of that sort of thing going on and it was a big deal when the Bulldogs left new Japan to go work for all Japan. I mean, because they were seen as the top, you know, tag team in the world outside of maybe say the, uh, the road warriors. And they probably were actually the actual best tag team in the world (laughs) when it came to in ring. And, um, dynamite was a huge star over there as was Davy boy. And yeah, it was a big deal. I mean, I don't really, I don't really have any much more insight into it other than you're in the middle of a, of a of a war and you've got there was other guys jumping too. Ricky Choshu took his entire Ishing Gun group to all Japan around the same time. 
which was a big deal. So, I mean, it was sort of like the Monday Night Wars. You've got the two big, you know, companies trying to put each other out. And, you know, I guess it would be the same question as be like, why was it a big deal when the radicals left WCW to WWF? It, it just was. Right. Brand supremacy. Yeah, brand supremacy. Like, they jumped. <laughs> it's a big deal. <laughs> uh, next question from Highest Fly Flow. Do you guys really see Evil losing the title? A part of me wants him to win because he really doesn't have anything else to hold him up. Jay White won and then immediately lost, but Jay is a much better talker and wrestler and was built to get there with wins over Kenny, Okada, and Tana. I mean, Evil could win. Um, it's not impossible. It's just uh, I really don't see them running any sort of major year-end dome show style show with evil at the top because i don't think that he's a proven draw even if he is quote unquote a draw right now there's no way for them to know that for sure and there's no way to bank or gamble on that and so i don't think that they're gonna have him be the g1 champion and then drop it short like it's not their style to have the the champion who goes in the g1 with the title drop it you know shortly thereafter especially with the accelerated timetable that we're on right now um, and then the other thing too is just history has shown so many times often that a first time IWGP champion doesn't hold it very long whatsoever. So it just makes a lot of sense that Naito would like, if I'm the booking, if I'm their booking, I'm going to have Naito win. I'm going to have him defend it during the G1. So he doesn't have to win the G1, you know, that takes that off the table. And then he's a proven commodity draw for the Tokyo Dome, whoever I want to run him against. So, like, I just I wouldn't run with Evil after this for the, for that time period. Right, and plus you also kind of get this kind of big kind of a feel good moment of Naito winning in you know this big stadium show, the most fans that they've had uh, since they started running again. And yeah, I think it'd be a nice little kind of storybook ending there. So uh, last question here from Kevin from D.C. He says, a couple of weeks ago, NJPW released a massive playlist of entrance themes and pay-per-view event themes, and it's getting a lot of love from me in the gym, though it doesn't have classic bangers from departed wrestlers like Kushida, Nakamura, or Kenny Omega, as well as copyrighted songs like Makabe's. Do either of you have a personal favorite, either past or present? My personal choices would probably be Zack Sabre Jr.'s for wrestler and Best of the Super Juniors for event. Just wanted to get your thoughts on the matter. Oh, so he brought up a bunch of um, music, but then he wanted to know our favorite. Was he talking about music, or is he just talking about match? Like I was favorite, following favorite theme song. Oh, um, my favorite New Japan theme song. I don't know. Um, I mean, I really like Ricky Choshu's theme song, Power. <laughs> yeah, uh, that one. That one really slaps. Uh, but. I mean, Naito's music's my favorite music. Yeah, I just feel like a, a lot of themes right now are really good. Um, like, Naito's good. I, I love Hiroki Goto's theme. Uh, I, I mean, two that we don't get to hear anymore. Uh, Kenny Omega's music was incredible, as was uh, Nakamura's music. Mm -hmm. um, trying to think who else. Um, well, I like, I like the old... Um, I'm I'm like kind of alone in this, but I like the old '80s sort of like techno funk sort of like galactic sounding theme songs that they had back then. 
like so I like Inoki's old theme song. <laughs> I like uh, Fujinami's old music. I like uh, Andre the Giant and Harley Race's old music, Dusty Rhodes, like the stuff that they – Hulk Hogan's music from Japan, like all that 80s stuff. Um, they kind of sound f- similar to like what Tiger Mask's music is like now. Mm. Yeah, um, as far as events, I also I love like the Wrestle Kingdom music that we've been getting uh, the last several years. Uh, that music is just iconic and just epic. Yeah, I, I don't know too much about event music, but I mean, I, I obviously I like the Wrestle Kingdom music. There's always Fantastic Mania too. Oh, yeah, yeah, dude, I get hype off that fan. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know why those shows aren't that good. <laughs> But that music just gets you hyped, and the announcer, Karistega! Just, just, just get into it. Oh, no! <laughs> Fly out! <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I get hyped listening to the Fantastic Mania. Well, that's going to do it for all the questions this week. So now we have the recommended match of the week. Last week, my pick was... Kazuchika Okada versus Shinsuke Nakamura from G124 Finals. What do you think about this match? Yeah, um, it's been a very long time since I actually watched this match. Um, one thing was just seeing the finals in the Cebu Dome. The atmosphere of the Cebu Dome is like incredible. Um, I kind of forgot like how awesome that place was. And when I was watching it, I was like, man, they really need to run this uh, auditorium again. Like 18,000, I think, is what I read was the attendance, which is pretty great. But, um, yeah, I mean, the story here is so interesting because you've got the two quote-unquote co-leaders of chaos. I don't even know if Okada was really seen as a co-leader yet at that time, but they were both stable mates from chaos, and you had the leader – in Shinsuke Nakamura, who's in the middle of, I don't know if he still was the IC champion at that point, but he was in that era where he was regularly winning and holding the IC title. So he's in a very, very hot period of his career. And then you've got uh, Okada, who's kind of like seen as the top star of the of the group, even though he's not like, he's sort of like the ace of the group, even if he's not the leader, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's only been back a little over a year. He's had a title reign or two, I, I believe. And, um, you know, it's it, it's just really interesting because we haven't since then seen two stablemates end up in the finals together. And I think it's pretty rare in general for the history of the G1. And, yeah, the match is really, 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 really good. Uh, it's what, It's something that, like, you would think it would be more talked about being that it's a G1 final and considering who's involved in it, but it, it kind of goes under the radar, I feel like. It's, uh, maybe just because it's a little bit prior to that 2015 um, you know, Wrestle Kingdom 9 era. But uh, this match is really just incredible. Um, like, It's exactly what you want out of a big G1-style match. Uh, they kind of go through the the like they go through a lot of what you would expect from a um Shinsuke Nakamura match like a lot of his classic hits are kind of played but then Okada's so good at like turning that on its head and like throwing in 
you know, an awesome drop kick here or there to like kind of cut him off and like change the momentum and the momentum changed a lot in this match. Like, um, these two guys only had two matches with each other in their whole career. They're both in the G one and they were both incredible. And I've seen the 2015 match multiple times and I, I really like that one, but the 2014 finals were just incredible. Dave Meltzer gave it four and three quarters. I think I would probably agree with that rating. Honestly, that's how good I thought this was. Um, I enjoyed every minute of it. I think it's like close to a 30 minute match. It felt like 15 and, uh, yeah, I mean, seeing young Okada kind of overcome Shinsuke like that, it was a little bit disheartening because I love Shinsuke so much, and I kind of knowing that he's not going to get it the next year, and he didn't get it <laughs> that year, <laughs> yeah. kind of sucked. But um, I think Gato knew what he was doing ultimately, so. Yeah, I mean, the one thing for me, like you mentioned, the atmosphere of that arena and just like the crowd reaction, like that, that crowd was super hot for that match. Like, literally the, the smallest movements that Okada and Nakamura were doing, they were, like, losing their minds for. And especially, you know, you get your closing, you know, Okada sequence stretch with counters to the Rainmaker, you're getting counters to the Bomaye, you're getting, you know, Nakamura hitting the Bomaye and Okada kicking out and all this stuff and just how hot they were for all of that. Like, it's that, I'm, I'm really missing, like, that, that energy and that crowd reaction. A lot, yeah. The watching the crowd, um, how they reacted to everything was like very. Uh, I was sitting there. I was like, man, it was funny. I was watching this with my girlfriend, and I was like, man, I've been missing this. And she was like, oh, because of evil. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, nah, not that. Like, I wasn't talking about match quality. I was talking about the crowd and their reactions. And I was like, but you're right. <laughs> But um, that's why um, in the uh, the watch party on Friday, um, Danny threw on Okada versus Carl Anderson, uh, and somebody in the chat was like, "Man, I wish uh, Carl Anderson would still wrestle like this." I was like, "Man, I wish Okada would still wrestle like this." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a conversation people are not ready to have yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, one thing about this match is like there's a lot of similarities in the structure and style of the match from what Okada and Tanahashi would do in their matches. It was almost like Nakamura borrowed from that template and then made it his own, you know? Yeah. But structurally, it's very similar to the Okada-Tanahashi matches, which is never a bad thing because, you know, you're talking about the greatest feud in the history of wrestling, maybe. Yeah. One of them. So yeah, overall good pick here. Um, good match. Jeremy Jeremy got mad. He made I made him watch that cage match in retaliation to him making me watch that exploding del, <laughs> death hell bomb, you know, barbed wire death match or whatever. So he was like, "Nah, I'm not gonna fuck around." Right. So I, I picked a banger, <laughs> and since uh, tomorrow is my birthday, I'm expecting a, a good pick here for from your pick here for the recommended match of the week. Oh man. You know what's funny? <laughs> I didn't pick a match. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I also didn't know it's your birthday tomorrow. <laughs> mania all around. No, we're good, man. Let's. Uh, we've done this in the past, and I believe it's time for us to <laughs> bring this back. So, 
Um, you give me a year. The last time you gave me a year was 1997. So you need to pick a different year. Any year between 1972 and 2020, and I will give you a good recommended match. All right. Well, let's just go with my birth year then, 1989. Okay. 1989. Bear with me. Let me think about this for two seconds. And I know we're on the air, but I'm going to give you a good one. So I'm older than you? Um, yeah, by a, a year, I think. year or two. Oh, this is easy. I know exactly what match I want to make you watch. Jushin, Lung, Jushin Thunder Liger versus Naoki Sano. Uh, the match from June 13th, 1989. They had a three-match three series that year. But you want to watch the June match, June 13th. All right. Sounds good to me. Love me some Liger. Um, I haven't really seen any Sano, really. So besides what we saw uh, this or, year. Or would you rather watch Vader and Hashimoto? No, let me let me go with the Liger and Sano. I haven't seen any of their matches. Oh, bro. You got to watch the, the 1990 match. That was the Observer match of the year. So yeah, maybe I'll just have a, a Liger, a Sano, uh, just a little marathon of that. I don't- I don't know how many of their matches are on New Japan World, but yeah, the, there's um, actually my favorite one from '89 is this one where Liger wears um, <laughs> he wears football like uh, pads <laughs> uh, because like his like shoulder or arm was like injured, so like as a form of protection, he wears like like football pads to like protect him, <laughs> like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a body part match. I like that match better than other people do, but I think the June match is the one that people... 7-13, July. I think the July match is the one that people like. Gotcha. All right, well, check out that Liger and Sano match, and that's going to uh, wrap things up for this week. So uh, next week, we'll be back to review the finals of the New Japan Cup USA and to preview Summer Struggle in Jingu. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. Follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. Also follow us at Social Suplex. On Facebook, we are facebook.com slash social suplex. You can join us in the Wrestling Scored Circle Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash wrestling scored circle. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can also check us out on the Discord channel. There's a link to that in the show notes of the show. And you can email me, Jeremy, at social suplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Ladd and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. On Fridays, we have our new show, 8-Bit Suplex, with Josh, Number 2, and Sandy. And on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Austin. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating, and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.